Hey, flail forward people. How's it going out there in flailer, flailer land? Flail forward. Um, This is plural. I mean, we, we found our listener finally. That's right. We did. (laughs) Yeah. There there was a guy listening at one point. It must've been this guy. Mitch Moore is joining us. He's designer of ashes of the deep. We're going to discuss that game. And uh, it's relation or not to Ashes of the Magi. Maybe they're the same game in different worlds. Maybe they're the same world in different games. Who knows? We'll figure it out. But we want to talk to Mitch about game design in general, his games in particular, and uh, what he's got going on. So without further ado, big flail forward welcome to Mitch Moore. Thank you. Happy to be here. So none of us know you. (laughs) (laughs) so uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself we'll go from there oh yeah i always love that question it feels like i'm in a job interview it's it's great justify your existence real quick (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah um so i'm a uh michigan um designer of sorts but it's definitely a a hobby um amateur in good company um absolutely or not my day job is i'm an art teacher at a high school that this kind of it's great just because i get to um i play games with a lot of my students i have a game club that i run so um it's nice to have some of my interest there but i'm um, part of a, a local group here um that's in that meets in grand rapids called grubs which is grand rapids unpublished uh board game society i think um, sounds right at least the acronym makes sense <laughs> yeah i think that i think that goes all with all the letters um but we meet every couple of weeks, so we um, play test things. A couple of us have RPGs that we're working on there, uh, as well as um, other games. So, um, but those are my my main uh, claims to fame. Yeah. And what kind of what kind of art do you? Do? I mean, so presumably you were doing art before you became an art teacher. That's true. Yeah. Uh, my background's mostly um, in drawing. Uh, I teach primarily drawing classes, but I also teach our um, technology-based art classes. So I was a graphic designer for a couple of years, and um, my emphasis area is in new media um, in my degree. So all the sound, video, um, web, interactive, um, co- coding, all that kind of stuff. Right, right. My when I got when I did art at uh, school. They didn't have a new media major yet. It was just, I think, digital arts and new media. The the year they started doing a graduate program for that, not that I went to graduate school, but the year they started doing that was the year after I left, or the year I left. Oh, so ouch. Yeah. So well, that's what it is. But I, I majored in in uh, sculpture with emphasis in metal and bronze work. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nice. So and when I saw your thing you, you were talking about casting or something like that on twitter and i was like oh there's another game designer who does metal work oh he kind of looks like me this is interesting he, oh. he, <laughs> if someone yeah i know like I, they're, they're the clones dispersed and i found one um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm wondering i'm gathering i'm gathering bald bearded dudes who do metal work and game design <laughs> right yeah um, <laughs> i have casted bronze so i i have a fair amount of experience with sculpture do you do any sort of like 3D animation and such as well? Yeah, so I don't do 3D animation. I have done um, 2D animation um, and 
I teach, so a new course that I'm actually teaching just this upcoming school year um, is going to have a component to it that's going to be teaching 2D animation. So I have some experience with that, but most of my skills um, that I use are pretty much just um, prototyping stuff. So I have a card game that I'm working on, and so I make mm -hmm. assets for that. Um, mm -hmm. And that's pretty much my art outlet these days, just because it takes, obviously, it takes a lot of time. So, yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. What, what's your card game about? Uh, it's called Goblin Pile Up. And uh, I'm you, already on board, sold. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the theme is the. Is the, is the is it grabs you pretty easily um, in my experience, but uh, it's a um, it is a game where you play one of the one of the goblins in a, in a clan, mm -hmm. and you are trying to race to the top to take out the goblin king, so that you are in fact the next goblin king. Um, but to get there along the way, you don't have to just be the first one there. You have to be the first one there who has um, the right influence in the in the clan. Ah, okay. So. Action programming um, obviously has some take that elements, certainly. Um, and trying to think, oh, area control um, as okay. well with the influence. So, car, so it's 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 card game, but like there's a there's a board that's uh, that that has areas on it that you. No, it's just all cards. So, it's a um, a triangle of cards um, that make like a hierarchy. Um, though, of course, it's a goblin hierarchy, so right, right, right. everything's all connected. There's not like, oh, this person's in charge of these two people. It's like, this person's in charge of these two people who are in charge of these two. Like, it's, it spawns out pretty quickly. It doesn't look like a traditional hierarchy. It's a little more chaotic than that, as the theme implies. How's that going? It's going well. Um, I've had to, uh, had some big changes. I was just saying, uh, I had a meeting last night, and someone was referencing that, you know, that I've, I've stuck with the design, even though I've had some some hiccups mm -hmm. along the way. It's my first real uh, attempt at making a, a tabletop game, like a like a card game. Um, I'm more of an RPG player, um, mm -hmm. but I was they were saying like, oh yeah, I really stuck with this, and I'm like, yeah, that that was version 23 that you just played. Like, Ooh, yeah, nice. So and it, it incremental changes, but still, it just work. This work. Yeah, I, I went through a big change um, last. Let's see, last. Uh, around last Christmas, um, I had, it had been coming for a while, like around last September at a convention that's in Grand Rapids called Grand Con. I was running in and I was like, yeah, this is, it's the version, the game that it was, it was a game um, mm. and it was playable and some people would enjoy it. <laughs> which, you know, says I something. Know I guess. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's primarily, it came out of like, being my first card game and I've played a fair amount of board games. I'm not a big card game player, um, but I've sort of been becoming one over the last couple of years more right. so just because it's faster time investment. An issue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, have a, yeah. I have a toddler, so um, oh, nice. my gaming time is much more limited. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I agree. kind of, I realized like I didn't know all the mechanisms that I needed to know to make the game that I wanted to make. So I ended up making this set collection game that works. Uh, it has multi-use cards and it's a kind of a cool thing, but the theme did not match the mechanisms really. Mm. And so I was just like, oh, really? Like this is a game, but I don't feel like a goblin playing it. Like right, right. It, it doesn't feel like I should have that little bit of 
you know, crazy, you know, trying to outdo the other goblins and clamber up the, you know, up the hierarchy. I was just like, mm. it's just really not working. So I kept the hierarchy part, but I had kind of discovered action programming. And I was like, this is where it's at. Like a little bit of, I know it's not the right exact term, but the chaos that it kind of creates where it's like, you know, oh, I'm putting these moves in here, but I know that by the time that my move, my my plot comes up, mm-hmm. it's not going to work out like I think it's going to work out, and it's going to be a little crazy. Oh, see, so. that's... Okay, so you're taking advantage of the thing I typically hate about action programming games. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, like, the idea of, like, oh, I'm programming, and then, like, oh, inevitably, something's going to right my plan so i'm trying to plan for the fuck up right but like if the goblins are like yeah it's just gonna be fucked up don't worry about right. it if that's the idea then I, yeah that's actually even better because like when you said action programming i was like eh, mm, not my favorite right. style of game i mean I'll, I'll play them and uh you know i've enjoyed action programming games before but like you know if you're given a choice it'd probably be like it'd be a low rung sure. but uh it's gonna be action programming and it's also going to be fucked up every time. Like, I, I like that. The theme really, I think, exemplifies that idea. Yeah. That seems like something that it would make a lot more sense if it was uh, more humor-based. Where, you know, very lighthearted, not, not quite so much, like, PvP against, like, other players, perhaps. Like, or if you do have them fighting each other, that it's going to be kind of a mess and you know, expect everything to go horribly wrong every time. Right. Yeah. There's been quite a bit of change in that regard, especially the PVP aspect was one of the um, initial things where I was like, yeah, it's really not working in the site collection version. And now PVP has changed because you are, you will, um, you know, you will plot against other, um, other players, but it's really not the focus. And you tend to, in my experience, players that kind of go after each other, they're pretty much like going to lose because they're so focused on fighting each other that they never really, everybody else can just run away with it. Interesting. But I have it so that uh, you only have, like you have some specific, so you're getting influence on three resources that are in the, in the clan. All the goblins have two of them. Um, they have a combination of two that is so three possibles, um, but they'll have two on their card. And it's uh, pointies, which are little daggers, um, shinies, which is like a little golden chalice kind of thing, um, and tasties, which is like a little meat stick. Um, <laughs> so those are the things that goblins care about. Sure. And those are the things that you need to take out the goblin king. But each player has, um, their goblin has two, one of you know, like they have a pointy and a tasty, so they're missing a shiny. Well, the they get a um, a loot chip, which is a little shiny that they get. So every player starts out with a full set of three three resources, and they're adding to their resources to take out the Goblin King. But if you attack somebody else, um, they have ways to remove that influence off of them. But by the end of the round, if you still have influence on them, you get to take their little chip. So there's no point in keeping attacking them because you'll never get any more chips because they don't have any, unless they um, did some other parts of the game where you mm. can get you can get more chips, but it kind of incentivizes like, yeah, you can take somebody out to get a chip, but in the end, you don't want to keep attacking them because you're going to lose and there's not a lot of benefit in attacking them. That's a nice mechanic too, because it, it plays to the table. So you you're not screwing somebody over. You're playing the game for the game's sake. 
So it's like there's only so much uh, that any one player can take, right? Right. It's tough because it's funny because I've in playtesting, you know, obviously I try to I really try to focus on it. I say that they take that game so that people can expect like you're going to be you know directly competing and you'll be messing other people's plans up which you'd think that's kind of in the name like it's goblin pileup like it sounds like a car crash of sorts it's it's goblins so you know it should be assumed i suppose but every once in a while i get someone's like yeah i just you know i really just have such a hard time like i I feel like everybody's like beating me up i'm like well yeah i mean you're a goblin you're used to that yeah (laughs) Your That's life is hard, happens. and then you die by an adventurer. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've I've tried to work in things to make it so that it's not super take that because I don't actually really like take that games a whole lot generally. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I was just going to mention Cutthroat Caverns as the one take that that actually like I felt worked. But yeah, it's a yeah. good example. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that one worked. the The one that I played like originally that I always think back to is when the first time I played Munchkin, and I was just like. Mm-hmm. And partially, I think at the time I didn't get the humor of it. Like I, I was younger, like oh, like this is not fun for me. This is really, I'm just getting every time I like make any sort of progress, it's like nope, there you go. We're we're gonna team up and beat you up because you're not gonna be ahead of us. I was like oh, this feels terrible. Wow, so that was your first time playing Munchkin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For most people, it takes like their third or fourth play of Munchkin before that sinks sinks in. So <laughs> no, I didn't right away. <laughs> You must have the game designer instinct. Yeah, so I bought it and uh, never played it again. Yeah, my wife and I were like, "Yeah, that wasn't fun." So I gave it. I gave away at Christmas or something. Yeah, yeah. You really have to make the humor super obvious, and that it's not really fighting each other. Or if you are fighting each other, you have to manage it so that it's it's not hostile. Like you don't want a game of Monopoly where you lose your friends kind of thing. <laughs> right. Diplomacy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I found Red Dragon Inn did a much better job of it. Like, people will yeah. pile up on you, but it's, like, it's so ridiculous you can't really take it seriously. Yeah, and I think, too, uh, I found, just in kind of playtesting, that time is also something that, like, the length of the game makes, like, take that is not so bad if it's a short game. So Goblin Pileup should be between 30. If you've played it before, you can play it in 30 minutes. Um, but 30 to 45 minutes is like the target. And that seems where it's like, okay, well, yeah, it's a silly you know, game. Um, you get to watch goblins doing ridiculous things. They've got all sorts of goofy names. Is there player elimination? It sounds like there no. might be, but no, okay. Yeah, so if you if you have influence on another goblin, a player goblin, at the end of the event... Um, which is when you've played all of your action or your plot cards, um, then every influence cube you have on them um, is a number of loot that you can take from them uh, up to whatever they have, obviously. If you only have one and you have two, you only get take, take off one. Um, but once that is resolved, um, player influence clears because like chief among goblins, like you always influence yourself the most. Um, so... They have their own ideas, and you can sure you can influence them and take something from them. But they're a player goblin will continue on in the, in the hierarchy without without the influence on them, and there's no player elimination because that I don't know player elimination elimination and is something that is kind of tough to swallow, I guess. Well, it's not much fun either. Like if you get to yeah. a point where you have 
like, okay, well, the game's still going on, and there's like three of us are just sitting around. We're not playing the game anymore. It's like, what do we do now? Do we, you know, raid your fridge or something? That seems like a bad <laughs> idea. Yeah. Yeah. The only the only game I've ever ever played where player elimination was done well was Coup. Because again, it's very oh, short. Yeah. Like it's a five minute, five minute or yes. ten minute game. Yeah. Like, yep. And it really works. Like it's a really good filler game. Like it, I, you know, it's it's just a, a really snappy one. Mm-hmm. And player elimination is the mechanic. That's all. That's all the game is. Right. is player elimination. And like they're just like, hmm, can we make player elimination fun? Yes. If there's very little of it. Right. Well, or, or all, the entire game, but very small, short. Yeah. If yeah. we can get. It's almost not player elimination because, like, it's almost like lose a turn because as soon right. as the first domino comes down, like, pretty much, it's going to be a clean table in like mm-hmm. one, maybe two rounds after that. Yeah, that's definitely that's a great example of being able to do player elimination well. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's always fun to find those games. Like, you know, you were talking about the this one being um, a programming thing. I, I enjoy games where like the 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 typical idea in a player's mind of a dynamic or set of mechanics is subverted by tweaking a, an independent variable so like right. you know you're tweaking the, the 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 theme is what makes yours work in that way because now it's like you're expecting a pile up right so right. there's you go oh okay well that works then if my programming doesn't come out then that's part of it um and it reframes it reframes any potential downside of that that the, the it reframes the normal potential downside of programming games whereas like coup reframes the normal potential of player elimination by just making the game super short it's always worth it to to know what those games are because like they're they're examples of how you can subvert design by by going out around it somehow yeah no that's uh and i think that's the benefit of having a couple of years um and working on it now i'm like oh like I'm starting to see those design connections where it's like, oh, this is a, this is the choice I need to make rather than like, oh, I could do what this game does mm-hmm. and just kind of hoping for the best. It's usually not a good idea to just do what something else does without understanding it. Like right. you have to understand why it works. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you couldn't explain coup without saying like, and it's five minutes. Like it would yeah. sound, it would sound like a totally crappy game. It's like, wait, all there is is like we stop playing. That's the entire mechanic. That's, that's terrible. <laughs> but it's like, no, no, no. It's it's bluffing. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna lose, but it's bluffing, and you're trying to bluff your way into not losing for just a second. Right. Yeah. Context is very important in something like that. It 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 sounds more like a game of like poker where it's just an individual hand kind of thing. Yeah, it, that's more or less what it is. It's it, it's almost Texas Hold'em in a different cuz you're it's two cards and you're just trying to guess the other, the other person's card essentially. So but it's it it's well designed. It's it's you know, I would recommend anybody check it out cuz it's just a well-designed game. Um yeah, it's true. Setting aside board and card games. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um what uh, so 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 tell us a little bit about your RPG experience. Uh, what got you into RPG design, and uh, why was it trying to fix D and D? Oh yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, I've been playing 
um, RPGs since I was in um, sixth grade. And we had a really weird um, dynamic because uh, the other middle schoolers that I was playing with, um, I'd been friends with them for years, but his brother, his older brother who was in high school, had like the books. And so he, we weren't actually allowed to use the books. So we were just kind of like like absorbing rules and information and kind of just doing our thing. So it was very, very story focused and not very mechanically focused at all. Um, but I still, I loved it. Like that's so weird that only because I had a very similar experience of like my buddy's <laughs> older sister having the books, bringing them back from college and like, like here's D and D and GURPS. And we were like not reading the books at all. It was like, I get to be a ninja. Right. Yeah. Honestly, I think that might be the best way to learn to play. Yeah, no, I agree. The only downside that I have looking back is that my, uh, my GM, um, was uh or asdm at that time so this is definitely D D um or a version of D D. um but they were pretty pretty abusive in terms of like you like the way to get things in the game was to like oh hey do you did you want a soda or anything like and then they would like oh well you just happen to find 100 gold pieces You're right like, oh okay that's what this game is about bribery <laughs> yeah if, if, if you're an alien observing like D D games in the 80s and early 90s that is certainly something you would think right yeah so um after um trying to think like back to my experiences we pretty much stopped around high school because the um the dm that we had moved away and that sounds like um, it was a good thing yeah it definitely was um and i had some other friends who kind of ran things here and there but it was pretty hit or miss it wasn't a continuous story or anything like that but then i in college i met some coworkers that played D, &D and i'd play with them but it was around i think that was like 3.5 that we were playing and uh when i was in college when i first got into the art program um one of my classmates invited me to a halloween party and then she was talking about how they played role-playing games. And I was like, oh, yeah, I used to play um, Dungeons & Dragons back in the day. But, you know, it's been a long time. And at the, I'd also been um, married about a year before that. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh, you should come. I was like, well, my wife, you know, I don't know if she'd be into it. She's into nerdy things, I guess. But I don't know if, like, that could be outside of her comfort zone. Hmm. She's like, no, you guys should really try it. Like, so we kind of jumped over there. This is probably about, I guess it's almost 10 years ago i'm coming up this fall so we started out and my wife like the first time that we were there we we're playing this uh feudal japan but certainly with a lot of uh like the like all the legends of japan are true kind of a thing it wasn't l5r was it no it wasn't so i was actually using gurps um oh, okay okay oh gurps japan yeah i remember that book yeah that was our introduction, like my reintroduction and my wife's introduction mm. to RPGs. And then we've been with that group um, ever since. And oh, cool. we've, we're like, I remember someone on Twitter was just saying about how, like, oh, if you're going to play one game for the rest of your life, what would it be? And I was like, I can't even imagine playing one RPG for more than a year or two. Like, uh, my, my group has tried probably, probably close to 20 or so systems in the last um 10 years so that's 
yeah, that's fairly close to my experience too. I mean, we, we would switch it up quite a bit. So we World of Darkness, GURPS, D&D, you know, all three, well, the last three editions, um, Shadowrun, last two editions, Shadowrun, uh, Call of Cthulhu, the last three editions, like, yeah, we deal, Dungeon World, Blaze in the Dark. I found even if you have like a favorite game that people keep coming back to, they still intersperse it with other games along the way. Oh, yeah. One of the other guys that runs, he runs probably most of our campaigns. He kind of has the designer mindset as well, where we're always like, oh, oh, but this would be so much better if you could just like change this one thing. And of course, it always yeah. kind of cascades yeah. into other things. I mean, that's not a bad thing, though. Like, keep in mind, one of the main things for having a role-playing game in general is you can change stuff about it. Right. It's not like a video game where you have to actually learn programming or have like mod tools available you can actually change stuff yeah everybody kind of takes something different away from it like i i enjoy the whole role-playing part certainly in the story but even just the like how everything connects together trying all these different systems is kind of like that's what kind of gave me the designer bug where i was like oh like this system would be so much better if it had this thing from this system Mm -hmm. like honestly like one of the big rob you mentioned um and i've heard you mention before on the show like uh the riddle of steel like that that's like the the pinnacle of one where i was just like oh like this is so much different um and there's some of these things that are really cool in here and some of these things that just don't really work for me but that was when i was like oh this is like a thing like people just design rpgs yeah yeah people do like and you know having that point because like one of my like my first like i don't know my first real attempt at, d- at doing a RPG design was like a D&D fix. I think most people's are mm-hmm. on some level because they're like, oh, because D&D is like the one that's where the cracks are the most obvious, you know, like where right. like it, the, the breakdowns are are pretty, if you're paying attention, the breakdowns are pretty like clear, like where you, where the game almost enters a fail state or it does enter a fail state and you go like, oh, well, we could fix this. Um, but like for games where that are much more cohesive and and harder to get into that it's, it's harder to see like how you would fix them like my first you know full attempt at an rpg was like a, re, a third edition redesign essentially um and i'm i'm happy to say that like when fourth edition came out like there were ideas in fourth edition that like synced up with what i was doing so i was like oh i was on the right track yay and that's what actually gave me the sort of confidence to try other stuff and tried do so. I tried doing like a Riddle of Steel rewrite. Um, like, how would nice. I do this if I did Riddle of Steel? And that came out pretty good. But these were all just like just running for friends and stuff like that. No sure. intention to publish or do anything like that. But yeah, I did a similar thing for Riddle of Steel. I don't mm. think I ever really well. I hacked D and D like a little bit here and there, where it was just like, oh, we're gonna make it so that armor actually removes damage rather than you know adds to your AC. Like they were right. both. Operating, which I know is like a that's a classic. I feel like totally. You see, you see a lot of those. Um, yep. Yeah. And I think years later, when Pathfinder first came out, we quite a few of the things that we had thought about or did try were like, oh, like these are things that they're already doing. Like, oh, interesting. Um, but in terms of real steel, like I did, because we went from real steel, um, we made it through. I think like one adventure and pretty much our whole party was killed. And those people that weren't killed ran away Yeah, because the system is 
brutal like <laughs> very unforgiving you have to cheat oh yeah well and you and you have to use i mean it's so cool because you have to use your spiritual attributes if you're not using those yep. like you're fucked. you are you're yeah you've kind of done it to yourself and that's what that's the part like i started thinking about. i was like wow like this is so different than just like hey kill a bunch of monsters and you level up yeah it's like no you gotta you gotta do what you care about and that's mm-hmm. what makes you powerful. Yeah, yeah. It, that's yes, exactly. That that was a riddle steel revelation in that respect too. Because like, I was like, wow, this this experience system actually pushes me to act like my character. Right. Yeah. Like that was a huge like. Whoa. Okay. This is how we should be doing it. Uh-huh. Because everybody around the table yeah. is like acting in character and totally invested. And you're like that. Oh, I get it. Right. And it, you know, we've we've had a couple people that have kind of come and left our group over the years, you know, and um, generally a fair amount of them have been people who kind of like, they play the same character every game and they don't really like, they don't engage in terms of like creating a character. It's just like, no, this is this one standard that it's always this, you know, they're always the sneaky thief who is kind of touching the dark side a little bit. And you're just like, really? Again? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like when you see you, when you have a friend who's like, this is his fifth sword and board fighter like human human fighter shield sword you're just like don't you get tired of saying i attack like it depends because i actually ended up having to do that for a while because it was like i had like a character concept i wanted to play and then we'd play like one session and then the game would die and we'd start a completely different game Sure. And it's like, okay, so this is like the sixth time I've tried to play this character because I want to actually enjoy trying to play this character. Mm-hmm. Like, just let me play it. I want to play it for like two sessions. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I understand that. The the people that I'm referencing, like they play the same same exact like stereotypical character for a couple of years. So yeah, <laughs> slightly... that is a little bit much. But in a lot of cases. A lot of the time, those players are less playing a character. They're usually tending towards an idealized form of themselves. Like, it's usually more of an avatar than a character. Right. Not always, but it's usually something that if I were actually in a fantasy world, I would want to be like this. Well, that's fine. You know, that's, that's one way you can have fun with RPGs is, like, getting to imagine yourself as an idealized version of yourself in a fantasy setting that's totally valid i think but right yeah it can get old i i I wouldn't dispute that i think it's tough too i mean i think the the part that i started kind of designing um to kind of force players away from that because i guess my play style i kind of riff off of what other people are doing and if they're always the same character, I'm just like, oh, I just don't even want to engage anymore. Like, I already know what they're going to say. I know what right. they're going to do. Like, there's no surprises anymore. There's no point in interacting with them. Well, the best thing you can do in that case is if you're designing a game, don't include the basic standard things. Like, don't right. have something like, oh, I attack. I'm the warrior. I hit things. It's like, okay, let's make it so that you have to pick between, like, a general who orders around lots of uh, smaller minions or you're a tactical genius where you basically coordinate your allies or something. Anything else but 
that. So it's like they still get the warrior feel, but it's not the same kind of thing. Yeah, it, sh- it should never be boring. If you're if the players, I mean, my my rubric for this kind of stuff is like, if you're doing the same thing three turns in a row, like the game's actually broken. Oh yeah, yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Yeah, like it, it's just like there's no there's no game, there's no decision points happening. There's just I stand there and I roll a d20. It's just like if you're rolling at that point, it's like you're not even making a decision. No, no, no. Like, so it so, might cover up the fact. I'm oh, sorry. No, no, no. It, you know, I know I'm sure about to say it's like it covers up the fact that you're making not making a decision by introducing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It's my. It's one of my favorite rants. No, it's true though. Like you know, like randomness is not a substitute for making choices in a game. Like even though a lot of times, you know, we're we're lulled into this idea that 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 you know, oh, just grab a chart. That still doesn't fix it. Like doesn't fix it. I know. Like if it's to the point that you could get up from the table and go to get a drink or something, or go to the washroom, and somebody else can take like your next three turns for you, or the. GM can just basically play your character because you don't actually have any input in what's going on. Kind of a problem. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. So tell us about uh, tell us about your RPG then. Tell us about like where, so where where was the impetus to start your own your own? This is a, a so I, is it based on anything? Is it a hack of anything? Um, no. So. It, it kind of started out with, um, I think that I just kind of got into this approach. So I've worked on a, a couple of, I know they always say like your first game is going to be like a complete dumpster fire. So mm-hmm. just ex- accept it, which I think that it never really came out. Um, but my first game definitely is not good. Um, and it was kind of a collaboration with uh, um, my friend, Tim, who generally runs most of our campaigns. We, we kind of worked on a... What I, the term that I, seems to stick with it is a Frankenstein RPG, where mm-hmm. it's a combination of all these mechanics that were like, oh, these things are so cool. Uh, but then oh. you put them together, and it's a monster. Yep. I could have yeah. predicted that as soon as you started saying what you were doing. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Like, these only work in context with how they work connected in the previous games they were part of if you start just stitching stuff together Mm -hmm. yeah it's like okay that's that's a very nice left arm but (laughs) the right arm doesn't match (laughs) exactly and the meat hook is attached to it it's only good for one thing you know so yeah it is one of those lessons that i think is learned best the hard way when you look yeah. at your, your monstrosity and you're like, oh, this this doesn't work at all. Right. And it's a great way to learn because I, like, obviously now I can see, like, oh, this mechanic is working with these other ones, um, which I kind of fell onto um, Burning Wheel at one point and was playing that. Mm-hmm. And I just realized, like, the the gears within gears, like, the concept of that, of everything, how it connects together um, is impressive certainly mm-hmm. um but it's by failing in that that original system it's like oh yeah like now i kind of see these cool things like why they don't work when you add them all together and that the pieces that were missing that were required for them to work from their previous systems 
Um, so, and from there I played, um, I played like someone's, there's a, like a RPG system that someone was working on that was like a super typical, um, you know, a real heartbreaker D&D um, hack that was its own thing. And that's when I started to think like, okay, like this is something that is interesting, but I don't want to do anything that's really D&D related um, because I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm just kind of over it in, in a way. Um, I'm not going to get one of those shirts that apparently I hate D&D, but I, I don't know. I just, the mechanics of it, you know, the, some of the issues that I ran into in play and in playing with other people, I'm like, I'd want to avoid those things. I want to try to to fix those things in how we play an RPG. Um, and so it kind of just spawned into me reading a lot of RPGs. Um, and I started working with some mechanics, I guess, a lot like my card game um, foray in that I started being a little more intentional. Um, but the uh, the concept, especially from my years with GURPS, I really love like the um, that universal system concept. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, I'd really like to make something that you know you can plug any um, any of your campaigns into. You just have to pick it up and change, you know, little things mm-hmm. here and there. Um, uh, but I don't want it to be nearly as complex as GURPS because there's a reason why I stopped playing it. Well, there's more than one reason, but. I can't go into all those, but uh, that kind of like started me thinking about like, okay, well, I'm going to make this system. And then I started to realize as I was really going into more social media stuff, like seeing what other people are doing. And it's like, oh yeah, like a lot of these people don't want to play universal systems. Like they mm-hmm. want, they want something that has a world attached to it. I was like, oh, interesting. Okay. So I was about halfway through my process and I just kind of like, took a quick left and started working on a world um, collaborating with uh, a friend of mine who's um, went to school for journalism. So she has some writing experience and I figure she's probably a better writer than I am um, and started working on um, what now we're calling ashes, ashes of the deep, um, mm-hmm. which is a, it's kind of a, a Frankenstein in a way um, in terms of a world, which I guess like a lot of, you know, there's there's nothing new under the sun, um, but I suppose a lot of us do that where we read something and we're like, oh, that's a really cool thing. Like, I'd like sure. to see more about that. So yeah, if you if you can't if you can't if you can't see somebody's like influences in their work, they, it it's a good sign that they probably don't have any, and they just haven't read that broadly. Right. Good stuff yeah. influences you. It just does. Right. And it and it should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I try to tell, I mean, even my art students that, you know, you learning from other people's mistakes and failures is a, a much better way than failing yourself. So, yeah. so there are some lessons that are easier to learn if you do it yourself and see oh, yeah. exactly why it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But usually if, if you can learn from someone else, then it's good to do so. Right. Yeah. I like that. If you can, I agree. Yeah, sometimes design especially is tough because it's like you really you 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 can't see the process in the product, you know. It's true. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, there are some things that it seems obviously broken until you actually try to do it yourself. Like I wrestled with trying to remake initiative as a concept for 
probably two years. And oh, yeah. by the time I was finished with it, like fixing all the problems, it, it basically looked like most other initiative systems. It was <laughs> like, shit, there's actually a reason why they did this. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, that I've had some issues with initiative and I at one time the 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 system that's powering um Ashes of the Deep is at this point called the Edge system um because of some of the mechanics and how it works but mm. at one time it had action points and I like after a few play tests I'm just like oh this is so broken like any action point game where you can attack more than other people because you just have more action points yep it's just painful to watch i mean yeah yeah that's the lesson of action economy action economy should just be across players uniform as far as i can tell like it like even giving any players like an extra action like tips everything so weirdly that it's hard to account for everywhere else yeah i found it can be done but you basically have to be able to have a fair bit of actions to begin with if everybody has like four actions they can take and one person can take five it's not that big a deal but if it's like everybody can take one action and one person can take two suddenly that's a really big deal sure the percentage matters yeah right yeah, yeah. and and if you're sacrificing quality for quantity like somebody only takes four actions but their actions stand out more than the person who can take five, then it's a fair trade-off. But yeah, it's just something that's really tricky to manage. Right. And it and it's it's one of those things that um I don't know if I stole this phrase from somebody else, which I probably did, um, but levels of complexity, action point systems, like that action economy stuff, it can add a lot to your system. If you already have a complex system you put that on there it becomes even more complex um yeah. and so who's going to be able to play that it's like well just you and your friends maybe right. if <laughs> if you like torturing people yeah you know? so system complexity seems to be non-linear when you start adding it in like it, it, it you know having one complex system is tough but having two is worse than having just oh, yeah. two it's like having it's like having three and then if you have three and it's like having five it's like it just compounds in this geometric way where like the complexity of the game ramps up significantly even if you have like three complex systems interacting well part of that is also that it's not just the complexity it's the number of things you have to keep track of if you have three or four very simple easy to do things that's still as complex as like a really complicated task because any complicated task you break down into smaller pieces. Yeah, it's one of those things that I see. I see it quite a bit. Um, I, I try to. I see people pretty often on Twitter saying like, "Hey, try you know, take a look at my um, the rules that I'm working on." And I, I'm always interested because I like, I mean, I like, I like design, and I like to see other ideas that are out there. Yeah. And I'd say about half of the time, it's something where I kind of like come back with comments about levels of complexity, saying like, "Look, you've got." so many things in here that they on their own they're complex but you have to choose what to make complex because it has to be manageable it has to be approachable for people to play and if i look at it i'm like oh yeah like you know you've got 
you know, you've got hit locations, you've got action points, like it's, there's the list starts <laughs> going along and you're like, oh man, like this, you know, it's going to take me, you know, five minutes to resolve an action. Yeah. And that's painful. Um, and I'm not, I can't, I can't like, you know, I'm not going to invest myself in a system like that in terms of as a player, there might be someone who would enjoy it, but you're really limiting your audience. Um, and if we want to share, you know, our thoughts and ideas, the best way to do that is to make it as approachable as possible while I still yeah. like fix, focusing on that core. I would actually say there's, there's two points there though. Like the first one is if you, if you're going to make something that's meant for a broader audience, you generally want to have it. So it's as few steps required to perform an action as possible. Mm -hmm. Like you want to have a minimal amount of gap in between. This is what I want to do. And this is what actually happens. Like if you have to do like 15 steps to get from what you want to do to what happens, you kind of have a problem regardless of how you actually do that. Even if the steps are simple. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. The one exception I'll put on that is if you're trying to do something that basically the start to the end is the entire thing. So like um, Riddle of Steel Combat or uh, most things in like um, the Burning Wheel. Like it's okay if you have more steps that are part of it because it's just the one thing it's like i want to defeat this enemy and it's like okay there's 15 steps total to defeat the enemy it's not as bad as 15 steps total to just swing at it once and not even necessarily hit yeah the, uh, you know and you, the, the evidence of that is like D D getting simpler and more modifier free the, the the longer the additions the longer it's been around like it's just the mechanics get simpler but the amount of complexity elsewhere in the game doesn't decrease in fact it increases um but it's an interesting thing that they've re realized that the the by making the core really easy to manage they can make the other parts as complicated as they want and people will only use like their slice of the system especially out of combat stuff can be more complex like it doesn't have to be combat combat just anything where like it's not rushed you don't have somebody else breathing down your neck waiting for their chance to do something if it's something that okay we have some downtime everybody can you know plan what they're going to do then it's like, okay, I can actually spend like a minute or two straight trying to figure out what I want to do. And that's not a huge uh, thing that breaks the game. If everybody's like waiting on you so that they can do stuff, you want to move things as quickly as possible. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think that focusing on the, you know, all of that to say that focusing on the core. Yeah, I guess too, like how you were saying, Rob, like focusing on the core allows you to, you know, mess around with other things and it's not such a big deal as long as the core is, you know, a simplified experience as possible that really communicates what you want it to do. Um, you know, that's that's something I've worked on quite a bit. I mean, the, the RPG that I'm working on, I'd say around like 
well, year two coming up here. Mm -hmm. This like real the version that it's on, um, which is a pretty much completely different game than it originally was, but it's a much better game for being completely different as well. Um, Are you me? I but, mean, it's the, my experience. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have so much in common because, uh, and that's the thing, like your your system is post-apocalyptic um, to put that term on it, right? Yep. Yeah. It's more like mid-apocalyptic. It's like day after. Type yes. Thing. Okay. Yeah. I am, uh, I'm in the same boat. Yeah. Because um, that's <laughs> something that I've always, I've always like, you know, like a lot of games where it's just like, oh yeah, it's a post-apocalypse, and it's like, well yeah, the apocalypse happened like a hundred years ago, and I'm like, well, I'm sure it was pretty interesting right after the apocalypse, so why not? Why don't we just pick it up from there? Like, so in Ashes of the Deep, like it's, um, depending on kind of how things go in the future, but at this point, it's like within a week of of the uh, apocalyptic mm -hmm. event, um, and so a lot of the the core systems um, are focused on that, like, you know, in an apocalypse, like resource gathering is, uh, is paramount. Um, and so that, that is something that is like at the, at the core of it, um, things that you do just, just by, you know, rolling your dice. Yeah, you can get successes, but you can also get um, some trauma from that. And then depending on what, um, what aptitudes you're using in that test, you then gain trauma appropriately. And the GM just kind of describes like, oh yeah, you you were, you know, yeah, you're running after that thing. Oh, you got some consequences. Yeah, you, you know, your your foot went into a little hole uh, as you're running and you, know, you twisted your ankle a little bit. So, you know, you have a, you have an injury now. And they're like, oh geez. Like, but it also, one of the things I kind of learned probably maybe like six months ago. So I was like thinking about those, those things are interesting for the story and like giving a framework for role-playing and, you know, working the story stuff out, but also I don't want to be so punishing that it's just like, Oh, Oh, you, you, sp you sprained your ankle. Oh yeah. Well now you've got to like, you've got, you know, a good three days of hobbling around and you're, right. you know, you're basically going to die out here. <laughs> it's like, well, that's kind of like terrible. Like, so I also make it so that those resources that you're getting, each each of the trauma types have resources that um, that go into quickly removing them. So it's like, oh, you got an injury. Okay, well, you know, you're gonna just eat a ration, rest up, like just enough time to kind of catch your breath, eat a ration here. That point of injury is gone. Um, but obviously, then you can get to the point where it's like, oh, well, you have to eat today. Do you have any more rations left? And it's like, oh yeah, no, I. I used them all because I was getting those injuries. So to navigate that. Okay. So what's, what's your setting like? So your, po your apocalypse is like, what's the, can you talk about what causes it or. Please, please say it has something to do with the deep. It because... does. Yeah. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. The deep is the, uh, is the core of it. Um, because so um, it is a, um, it's a science fantasy world. It's definitely heavy on the fantasy part, um, but it, it's still, yeah, there's definitely still a uh, science as and magic. Where does one begin and one the other end? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, the, yeah, I know that nod. Yeah. Yep. All right. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, so this world has kind of gone through um, a ret. This has gone through several 
um, ages of civilizations rising and falling and um, even apocalyptic events that have ended um, previous civilizations but the uh, the people there have still survived and it's at the point where um, in the last age things kind of just fizzled into nothingness there wasn't a, a trigger or anything like that um, but within a, a hundred years or so a, a um, the light comes to Aret, and it's basically it's a uh, it's beings from another uh, another world, and um, they create the deep, um, which is a, a loud a large gash um, in the landscape, and uh, they drop things into the deep, and as they do so, um, the deep kind of comes out of um, out of that you know, canyon and starts to almost terraform planet itself. And uh, this mist comes out with it. Um, Wait a second. So there's a mist. So I've got a fog that happens. Right. After. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of weird. <clears throat> there are, I think there are some differences, but. I, I think there's actually a ton. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, my beings from another world are, uh, they're, they're, well, are yours gone by the time the thing happens? Yeah, so... Okay, so mine are two. Well, mine leave when the thing happens. Oh, mine have been gone for a while. Okay. My apocalypse is uh, a, a post... Basically, a, it's, a, it's a nuclear exchange between nations in, in magical style. Yeah. Yeah, mine's quite a bit different than that. So um, the deep um, starts to change things. People um, flock to this... Um, hoping for something because basically the world is not going to begin again. Um, but some of the strange technologies, the relics that um, that this uh, these beings are depositing here um, do amazing things that are magical um, and spectacular. And so they start to kind of rebuild a civilization near this. Um, but what comes out of the deep as well is um, gigantic uh you know skyscraper tall um animals that are that have been changed by the deep and um they are able to communicate with people and basically um become their gods and so these are the deep gods um not a cthulhu thing which i realized years later but... <laughs> yeah yeah whoops mm -hmm. yeah to be honest, the when you had said the deep, I was actually expecting something more to do with water. Oh yeah, usually where where it comes from, but yeah. like this makes sense, but it might be slightly misleading as all. Well. Yeah. Well, I I like that it's not underwater because that's what well my initial thing too. And as soon as he's like, oh, there's a giant crack in the world where shit coming up, I'm like, oh, okay, that's different. I like that. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So um, basically, there's a good hundred years where civilization kind of kind of flourishes um under the um the guidance of the deep gods um and the deep um kind of like slows to a crawl where it doesn't grow anymore it's just kind of around this canyon um and then people obviously build out from there um and they're specifically like pulling out more and more relics um that they give in servitude to the deep gods um but there's a group that um, 
kind of like starts to rebel. Um, of course, there's small little incursions here and there where people are like, oh, I don't want to worship you anymore. You know, you're just controlling our lives. Uh, times mm. are good. Times are like before you were here. So, um, but eventually one of those groups um, uses some of the relics um, in a ritual and um, sends out a wave that um, seems to kill um, or at least um, put into stasis all of the deep gods. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. And so when they fall, um, when the deep gods fall, obviously chaos begins to ensue. Um, well, there goes all your leadership. All right. Yeah. Um, the guiding light is definitely lost. And uh, the the light that was there that was putting all these relics in there from those beings, it begins to ascend and it leaves. And as it kind of leaves um, Aret, out of the deep come um, creatures that seem to be related to the deep gods, but they're much smaller versions um, uh, that are called the blooded. And they, uh, they basically just begin to um, kill wholesale any that they can get their hands on. And so people, people flee um, far enough away that, you know, they can start to um, pull together and survive again. But it's uh it's in this aftermath that you know the game kind of begins as people are navigating like building a settlement um because that's one of the um the objective that your group is doing is building and maintaining a a settlement a group of people that are surviving but you have to survive um specifically in the deep because the world is now covered in mist um which basically uh when the deep gods fell and the light left, the deep just washed over the whole world. And everything is shrouded in mist. It waxes and wanes, certainly, but the mist is always constant. And uh, the world itself is, um, the plant life is changing, animals are changing. And the only thing that seems to not be changing at this point is um, the quote-unquote intelligent life, the, the player, you know, um, cultures. Interesting. So you've got basically people have to build a settlement in order to survive like what kind of control do the players have over that like do they have any direction over the kind of settlement like is there any kind of base building or something to this from the sense of it yeah yeah there definitely is yep you have um they have choices that they make so all the players are um there are uh, an amount of uh important npcs that um, are also a part of the settlement that that the players actually um roll up and kind of create but they they are also um one of the you know, they're the part of the council that governs the the actual settlement so they do they kind of make decisions in terms of like okay we're gonna focus more on um defenses right now we're gonna focus on you know being able to preserve food and there's there are some there's a structure of you know base base building where you're you know putting your development points into different buildings as long as you have the resources for them mm. that's pretty interesting because i had i had a settlement building thing in my earliest incarnation of naturally of yeah i still do of uh back when it was called war mage where it was like it was very much a you know d assumed a lot of D, D tropes in terms of uh, okay. what you'd be doing and, and stuff like that. And uh, 
yeah, and base building and resource management was definitely a part of it. Yeah. Although like, as I've gotten like the deeper I've gotten into the setting, like the less the base mattered. And, and at this point it's, it, it's non-existent. And so that's cool. That's interesting divergence because like, yeah, we we're doing like, we're both interested in the immediate aftermath, like how, right. what you do in the immediate aftermath. And like, for me, I already, I, I, I assume, so this is the kind of weird setting I, I like. And obviously I'm designing a weird setting that I like, but <laughs> the idea that it's, it's, it's a, um, the apocalypse happened in a post scarcity society. Uh, so, and the mechanisms for that enabled the post scarcity society still exist. And so resource management isn't as right. big a deal in mm -hmm. Ashes of the Magi because like the magic still does a lot of that heavy lifting. It's just my, sure. my immediate post-apocalypse is like, how do you deal with power vacuums and how do you deal with the people that perpetrated it? And how do you get, it, it mines all relationships for the most part. Like the, the game follows story threads that, that are generally started by either the players asking a question or a fact in the world being troublesome. Sure. <laughs> and, and, but those are generally people focused. Yeah. Mitch's actually kind of reminds me a little bit of Frostpunk. And it does bring up the question of like, do you have much about trying to maintain like the morale of the people that are left over? Like they just lost all of their gods, all of their leadership. Like the people right. that are now in charge of things. I've never been in charge of anything before because you had like a hundred year period where they weren't needed to have those skills. So this is a lot of very new stuff. Like, do you have things like, um trying to maintain social cohesion and order like starting up new religions or stuff like that yeah there's not a lot of um mechanical there is a morale um statistic and it kind of it turns into where people will leave the settlement if morale is low um and then obviously the morale can also be low. It can be affected by if you don't have enough food um, and a water supply, like people start, you know, your your population starts to kind of dying off and then morale obviously gets affected by that as well. But a lot of the um, like, oh, we're going to we're going to create a religion so that, you know, people can um, people can have hope again. Um, Something to rally around at least. Yeah, that, that would be one of those. Um, player initiated things that would pretty easily um you know you can use the structure the framework that i have already um but it it's not anything that super specific in the in the rules okay. um the, so, so uh, tell us about the, oh so tell us about the rules a little bit then so how, sure. how does that what's the how does um, the resolution like and, sorry I, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just excited to learn that right yeah no i i get it <laughs> Like every time I hear you guys talking about your systems, I'm always like, oh, I need more. Like, I want to hear more about this. Um, but yeah, so the uh, the main things um, that the um, character sheet focuses on, I should actually like have it in front of me so that I can 
like represented exactly correctly because what tends to happen is that I have different versions in my head and then yeah. I say, say things that are no longer true. Mm -hmm. Yep. And my, my friends give me all sorts of guff about that. And I'm like, you don't know what it's like, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I've been through three versions this week, man. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's dark yeah. in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, looking at the character sheet. So the first thing, um, there's a details section. Um, I don't have like height and weight and stuff like that. I just have uh, from the character creation process, it's kind of stealing from Numenera, which my setting kind of does a little bit as well, that science fantasy kind of stuff, because I really liked that about Numenera when I ran it before. Uh, it's I am a blank. You get to fill in your name, I'm your name, uh, a, and then a trait. So in this case, it's I am um, Skoll, uh, a naive hunter. So hunter is his background. And then who is motivated by, there's a um, motivate, motives section. So the motives are, um, they are the, the thing that is supposed to encourage you to, um, to do the things that you do, just mm -hmm. like motives do for us in yeah. real life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. What, do, what do you care about? What are you going to do? There's a structure for creating them. Um, one of them comes from your background. So like this hunter, um, his, his background, uh, the deep has many lessons to teach us. Uh, I will share them with my companions. So if you are in a situation where you uh, you and the GM agree that you're using your motive, um, there's three little checkboxes. Above them is a plus zero, plus one, and plus two. And you check that checkbox if you um, make a test uh, or you're just doing things that are related to that. And the number above it is the amount of experience that you get when you do those things. But you can only do them up to three times. And I'll reference why that is in a moment. But the other benefit to them is that it, uh, well, I guess it's kind of out of order, but the uh, there's an extra benefit. So not just the experience, but it also makes it so that your your test is that much more um, successful. I guess I'll reference I that. Um, so it has like a, a critical effect to it, basically. So it's Riddle of Steel-esque, mm. uh, but it's definitely different in that um, you're checking those boxes. So the zero, the plus one and plus two. So you can get a total of three experience. Um, you can have it three separate times. And then you have to use your trait to erase one of the one of the motive like little boxes that are checked. So you can clear a motive. Um, you can refresh is the term. Um, so his trait is naive. Um, and it's when, when you miss something obvious and have it explained to you, you get to refresh. So oh, okay. So he gets to clear out his motive by, you know, using the uh, the trait that they selected during character creation. And the aptitudes are, um, they're like attributes, um, but the difference is they're how you do things. So um, anything that you do, you have to describe using, um, my, my typical way is to say, how do you approach this? Holy um, shit. Oh boy, let's get interesting. <laughs> because so I, okay. I can call okay. the approach system. Oh man, look okay. out. Okay, so at this point, you two are obviously going to have to have like a mud wrestling match, which I'm yep. sure will make both of your wives very happy. <laughs> as long as it's filmed and the, pro the proceeds go to charity, I'm totally I'm in. <laughs> I'm about that life. Yeah, I took. I was. My, my wife and I met in wrestling in high school, so this will be. Oh, there you go. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the the approach thing, it, it's probably similar um, in a way because they're both called approach. But what I find is that one of the issues that I have is that so often people are role playing to put that quotes on that. Um, they say like, oh, um, well, I'm really good at climbing. So I'm going to I'm going to climb. I'm going to climb this thing. It's like, right. okay. Okay, uh, I guess that works. It's just kind of weird. And aptitudes are the things like these are the things that you're good at, uh, but they're much more broad terms. They're not specific. Like, oh, you're really you're really strong. It's not strength. Um, so, like as an example, like exert is the one that's kind of a little more. Oh, I hear laughter. That's not good. No, well, exert. I got rid of exert. I, that's that's good. That's oh, good. okay. Yeah. It's just funny that like the, the terminology we're hitting is like it's unbelievable, freakishly, freakishly overlapping. Yeah, I'm bizarre. I'm bizarre, Rob. When you're dealing with that kind of a setup, like if you're doing with approaches of uh-huh. how you go about doing something, there's only really so many ways to describe it. Yeah. Like, right. Are you coming at this in an elegant manner? Like how many metaphors or, you know, pull out the thesaurus. How many different variations do you have for it? Right. Yeah. And I I try to specifically choose, you know, those action, action words. Um, Like it's a verb. So you do something Um, and you have to combine one of the motives um, sorry, one of the aptitudes with another one. So any test you do, okay. yeah. you you do two of them. So if it's like, oh, um, yeah, there's this giant boulder that's rolling down on top of you guys. Like, what are you going to do? And the, you know, the naive hunter's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get underneath it and I'm going to push, push everything I've got. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to keep this boulder from rolling over us. Um, so I put everything I have into like pushing against it and just holding it as steady as possible so that everybody can get out of the way. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that sounds like you're using exert um, because you're really, you know, you're putting your whole body into it. No, that sounds like he's using naivety. <laughs> right. He's also being naive. Classic. He's also um he's also using thrive, like his will his will to live and survive. Um so those are your two um the two ranks in those that you add together for your die pool. Um and the die pools are um they're D sixes. Um one through three is a is a not a not a result really. Um and then four through six is success. Ones technically are the ones that give you trauma. Um, if you force a roll, which just means you re-roll everything um, that is a, you know, a not result, a failure, um, except for your ones, and then those every one that you get tracks the trauma next that affects those aptitudes. Ooh, so that means like the the more dice you're rolling, the worse things can get. Yes. Yeah, that's the game in my system too. Oh yeah. Yep. Go ahead, keep going. Though the only trick for my for it may be similar in yours too, but if you force the roll, if you don't force the roll, you will not take trauma from that roll, like the initial roll. It's the re-roll that you know you're really trying to go for it, and it's like, yeah, you're you're gonna feel you're gonna get some trauma from this probably. So you have you have a choice, um, which I try to give a little bit of, just because it's it's it can be punishing. I mean, obviously, post-apocalypse. Um, but uh, and then also your aptitudes set the most successes you can have because you can have skills. They're very general as well. Like the hunter has a survivalist skill, has a 
Rankin and Scout, but they cover a very broad application of that. And so those those add in dice as well, but they're um, I kind of stole some of that from uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Year Zero stuff, like uh, Mutant Year Zero or Forbidden Lands. Mm-hmm. Forbidden Lands is especially. I just I I got that I got on that Kickstarter. I really like that game. Yeah. Oh yeah, so good. That was yeah. actually the the one game that I chose and said um, tweet that someone was putting out. Like, what was the one game that you'd keep? I'm like, well, if I had to choose, I guess I'd pick that one. Unless my yeah. game is finished, then maybe that one. <laughs> um, but that's you know sh- shameless self promotion. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, it makes sense that you'd pick your own too, because you can keep changing it if it's not. Oh yeah, there you go. I like that. That seems much less self-serving. Yeah, well, then it's just a rewrite. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it, if you're stuck with it forever, it's like, well, it's just not going to look the same in twenty years as it does right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I use three different colors. So aptitude dice are a color of d6, and then skill dice are a color of d6, and then gear um, dice are a color of d6. And the reason that that's important is because um, aptitudes can cause trauma on ones. Um, All of them give you edges if you get a six, Um, but skills, ones never will count against you on skill dice. So there's a benefit to being skilled in something rather than just raw, raw um, ability. And, um, And then gear, if you get ones on gear dice and you've pushed your roll, then it will damage your gear, which is a part of that, the field, the post-apocalypse that I'm going for. Yeah. And resource management. Um, but it's just as simple, obviously. Once you're, um, the broadsword, you know, gets damaged in, a, in an attack, then it's like, oh, it was two two dice, gear dice before, and now it's only one because it, you know, got a one on those. So it's pretty easy to track. You can repair them, I take it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You pretty much just need um, some um, scrap, um, which is kind of the universal uh, the stuff that is left by um, the light when the light left or it was in the deep. All that stuff is scrap, and relics are basically what they refer to. And scrap is the stuff that is quote unquote currency, um, besides food and water. Um, you, yeah, scrap is how you repair things, and it's fairly plentiful, but you can always get into situations. You only carry so much, so you can always get in a situation where you need it and you don't have it. Um, but the uh, part I referenced before about motives um, giving you the extra benefit, not just the experience points, is that your aptitude's also set. Um, so like he has a two in thrive and a three in exert. So five is the you could have um, on, a, on a test. And when you when he uses his motive, then it unlocks that so he can have as many successes as possible um uh in terms of oh wait no i changed that just kidding rewind um (laughs) well fix it in post or not yeah right i don't believe that i've heard episodes (laughs) (laughs) sad part is you probably haven't heard the parts that were edited out (laughs) i've heard some of the bonus stuff come on no um yeah. yeah so it's actually now the, they they make it so that your edges, your six, so normally you have to spend um, edges. They're like your criticals. Um, you spend them on um, things that are listed. Mm-hmm. On general roles, it's like on more information, um, doing it faster, or doing it with more quality. Um, 
you could spend sixes on those things because there's no there's no like degrees of success. Like if you have enough successes over the obstacle, you succeed. And if you had three extra or one extra, it doesn't really matter. The only way that it matters is if they're edges, um, and you spend those to get um, you know different edge benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, but the motives allow you to not just spend the edge, but it also counts as a success still. So on a test where you're like, oh, like I just barely made the obstacle. Um, you know, I, I needed an obstacle of two and I had three successes and they were all sixes. And how great would that be if I was able to have, you know, three edges to spend? Well, if you used a motive, you'd have three edges to spend as well as the three successes. Yeah, cool. So, I, I enjoy how that, that I like that description. What I'm getting from that, that's, that's almost a intersection slash overlap of like Blaze in the Dark and Riddle of Steel. Yeah, like I'm, I'm getting yep. that vibe very heavily, and that I am, I, I dig it. So cool. I would actually describe my system very similarly as a brittle of steel blades in the dark overlap. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, nothing wrong with that, man. I use D10s. The way my attributes work, I have, a, it's a three by three matrix. So I have grace, force, and mind, which uh, sort of encompass mm-hmm. the ways you approach something. And then your actual approach is either discover, engage, or handle. And you're, that's, it's just what you're doing in that bit of the story. So I zoom out a little bit in terms of right. discrete action. And I say like, okay, tell me what the goal is of the overall scene that you're in, yep. just the, this thread. And then you, you say how you're going to approach it. Tell me what you're doing. Okay, cool. Then we're, it, it sounds like it's going to be a graceful handle, you know, or yep. you know, a forceful engagement. Or something like that and then um so that covers probably 50 percent of the gameplay is approaching story threads um and then the finite action happens during a climax and a climax is when you've you've brought a thread to a completion point but somebody doesn't want it to happen and so either um the guide will say there's there's somebody standing in the way of this or say that this thread's about to be completed by somebody and you don't want it to go down like this, do you want to intervene? And then those are like the moments of, of what I call kinetic narrative where you're, it, the, the minute to minute matters as opposed to like the bigger scope, which is more of like, a, like setting up narrative potential uh-huh. where you're building towards these moments. And so in the kinetic narr- narrative, I break it up across different actions that you take on a phase and that's how i got rid of initiative also so like grace actions resolve before force actions before mind actions and so interesting um, yeah much much more elegant than my way of getting rid of initiative oh good i'm glad well we also got rid of initiative together fantastic (laughs) (laughs) mine's much more lazy though (laughs) mine is literally that the player the player characters go first yeah, and, uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord. Yep. Yeah, the player yeah. characters go first, and then the GM's people go next. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, mm. and that's usually fine for like ninety percent of games that I've played in. Like that would wouldn't have changed much. It does tend to cause people to talk over each other a little bit. Like they're going to create basically a turn order no matter what you do, just naturally. Naturally, yep. yeah. yeah, yeah. But I like that it it forces them to kind of be intentional and be like well you know i could do this and it's like oh no no no, i should do this first and then it's like okay well that like that's interesting to me running a game like i yeah. i want to encourage that rather than just like 
well, no, I've I've got a plus two, so I'm going before you. That's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I I I agree. That's I mean that's the reason I have my. So you just choose an action, and that decides when you go. So it's like, hey, can anybody set me up for this? Or like, I'm gonna launch this major spell. Can you bunch up dudes before the spell nice. goes off? Type stuff. Um, and then and then I just have th those things all resolve at the end of that particular turn simultaneously. So everybody makes their roles. The roles are not dependent on each other. So everybody can roll simultaneously. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, as soon as you know, you're going to take a grace action, like say you're going to exploit an enemy, then you would roll the dice. And then, you know, and the thing is, you don't even have to wait to find out your result because the, the way I've structured the player characters, they're, well, the player troops, they're, they're led by a faded that can see the future. And so, you know, the enemy's stats before you roll against them. They're raw stats. There's things about them you don't, you can't know, but the sure. numbers, the numbers That's are cool. apparent and you don't have to wait to know what you did. Like you can just roll and be like, okay. And then you can move the enemy or do damage to the enemy. One of the big foundational pillars of my game is taking off as much workload from the guide and putting it on the players as possible. Hmm. Also, the faded are the previous war mages for anybody who's listened yes. to this before, because you're probably <laughs> like, why do I not recognize any of these terms? Yeah, sorry, I changed. I changed it. Yeah, I changed it. Oh yeah, I know um, that good. Yeah, well, war mage has been a placeholder since the very, very, very first like version of this, but faded actually describes what they are more because they are they survived the the day of wrath when they shouldn't have and so people speak of them as fated to have survived uh, uh-huh you know they were caught outside or they're they're just like they're like what well, you should have died what happened like sure uh, fate i guess you should totally you should totally finish this game so i can steal some of that like mechanic <laughs> that's, there's some gold in there thank you i'm trying i'm doing my damnedest <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just give it a few more years and he'll scrap the whole thing and start over from scratch a few more times. Oh, no. Fuck you, cat. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true, though. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then my mo the way my, my motive structure is, is when you wake up from the apocalypse, you decide what you lost, um, You lo but you lost something. That's part of your motivation factor. Right. You cope how you cope with the you know what just happened sure. and and then you're calling and then that's what you're called to do now so you all the the cast decides on one calling from a list of six broadly they're all put the world right again but in more specific ways that that creates the cohesion of the 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 company everybody's sort of agreed on like Right. If there's, if we discover that there's a giant monster in the woods, we are going to go deal with it ourselves type thing. Or it's like, oh, if there's a tyrant, we're going to go to the next region over and, you know, free those people. Or we're going to focus on um, rebuilding the walls or rebuilding society or any of, any of those things. So, and then you just had a personal calling, like I must X and then when you address one of those things, one of those things crops up in a thread. Um, either you you describe a scene of you coping, or you have a moment where your character is reminded of their loss. Um, you mm -hmm. drop an XP, and instead of checking off something on your sheet, 
XP goes into a central pool. So this is the way I compensate for, um, for uh, an inconsistent amount of spotlight among players. So mm -hmm. if you are doing a lot of stuff that is XP focused, like everybody benefits from that, that and the quiet player isn't punished for kind of wanting to hang back. Um, and so the pool at the end of the session is divided. And then for every three that you have after it's divided, you gain an advance and somebody in your troop goes. So you're also, you're also controlling a troop of adventurers, not just one character. It's a cast, right? Sure. Um, and, uh, and that, that's, that's the system in a nutshell. It's like you, you approach threads, you bring them to climaxes, you, you do things, you know, following your calling and, and, and coping with your losses and stuff like that. And, um, uh, advancing the stories as you choose. Um, but that's, that's the nutshell of the system. Um, yeah, so yeah, I mean, yours and yours is, so does yours have like a, do you have an end game? Like, do you have a, cause like, so, so a lot of games have a, either an implicit end game or a very explicit one. Like D and D's is very explicit, like in terms of what their end game is supposed to look like, even though, you know, I can count on right. one hand the number of times it's gotten there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, like blades in the dark doesn't have like an obvious end game, except for like tier five. Like if your gang gets to tier five, I guess you win blades in the dark, but I've <laughs> never heard of that happening. Like right. even, even in like, you know, forum posts where people are like saying crazy shit that happened in their blades in the dark game, like getting to tier five has not yet been one of them. But like, so my game has an explicit ending, like you, there's something that happens when you, when you get to the end that, that ends the, the game. Does yours, as an ap apocalyptic thing, does yours like, is there a, a good ending? Is there like, oh, we set up the settlement and everything's kind of like self-perpetuating operation yeah. now? Or is it like, it's going to be. Because there's also apocalyptic games that like are necessarily going to end in everybody in the settlement dying. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's so, that's certainly an obvious uh, an end game. But in terms of victorious end game, mm -hmm. you know, I don't I don't know that they're. I guess it, I don't think it's something I really thought a lot about. So that's certainly something I will. Um, I know there's a like there's a point when you've built all of the stuff that I have. Um, in the rules to that that there is to build, so the settlement is pretty self-sustaining at that point. And the uh, the war gamer in me would be like, oh well, it just you know, then you start building other settlements. But <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, rebuild society. Why not? I mean, if, I mean, if you can do it, it's just a fractal game at that point. I mean, sure, that's and it does I mean, kind of have a. Uh, uh, a hex crawl of sorts to it as well, just mm -hmm. because of the way that you like there. Are, there's a travel um, component of the game, and yeah, how, how you move around and explore the area around you. Because obviously, you don't know where anything is, you don't know what's there, uh, and it's all shrouded in mist. Yeah, so I got that fog too. So the fog is both like is metaphorical and literal. Um, so there is a fog that is everywhere, um, but also memories are clouded so you don't rem like when you wake up from and you you start at that moment of like you open your eyes mm -hmm. you should have been dead what happened um and you don't remember anything except like the broad strokes of what's been given to you in your opening the opening is like a 
short choose your own adventure that opens the your 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 game and um and then i allow the players to fill in that stuff as they go so they they don't know you you don't know all of yourself when you start the game okay uh, and that's on purpose yeah i kind of have well. a yeah. similar at least somewhat in, similarly inspired um character creation process where you kind of because mm. it kind of like starts at uh at the fall of the deep gods and then you're a playable character um you know when the settlement is founded uh, but that time in between mm. is when you kind of are figuring out what your motives are um and what your background is and stuff like that it's a uh, session zero of sorts you have a formal session zero yeah 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 me too yeah i think i think that's necessary i don't like I mean, every yeah. every game, even D and D games that I've played in, have had a, an informal session zero. Right. Like, it's implicit in from everything that's written in the book that there should be a session zero, but like it's never like outlined what you're supposed to do. You know, it's sort of like, well, everybody shows up and you're in a tavern. Go. Yeah, I think it's also it's kind of required. At least I know certainly for my games, the way the motives work. Um, mm. You have to have a motive that, at least at its core, is related to somebody else's motive. Um, so you have to have something in common, and the group has to have an overall kind of motivation that everybody's working on. Though it may be the motivation for that goal may be maybe different, uh, but it, uh, but it's all kind of tied into the same thing. So you have to be making characters together, um, okay. and then that's session zero. And it sounds like it's kind of similar in yours in that mm -hmm. you have to be working and making characters together yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense otherwise like you know the idea of an rpg being this it, it maybe it's only what in the last 10 years that they've really acknowledged the fact that it's a um highly social activity and that sure. you don't you actually want to be on the same page as far as like what everybody's there to do Mm -hmm. um explicitly and i feel like that was implicit in most games before like what 2005 or something like that it's just yeah it's, it was sort of assumed and then when you, you, the more narrative games started coming out and role playing started well i guess over the edge really diverged first maybe in that way but but that, in, yep the mainstream cottoning onto the fact that like what we're all here to do is 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 um tell an interesting story about these characters and right. let's be on the same page about what that story looks like at least uh you know if it's going to be like a bunch of scoundrels stealing from the wealthiest in the city or is it going to be um a bunch of uh heroic characters taking down an evil tyrant like you want to uh -huh. You yeah. want to know, like, because why would you show up to a session ten times in a row if you're not going to be invested? Like, you you want to make sure that's the case, right? Like, it seems so obvious, but but for a long time, everybody was under operating under the assumption that it was just like, yeah, we're gonna go kill monsters because right. that's what the <laughs> rules say we do. Gold. Yeah, and take their gold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right and i'm sure and, we, and, and nobody was like yeah but why though because <laughs> gold is good you know 
obviously good, right? <laughs> right. Although I, I like the uh, I like the torchbearer kind of mentality about it, where it's just like, well, you have no other options in life, okay? So this is why you're out, you know, robbing crypts and the like because this is a, this is your only chance, okay? Yeah. This or death. Yeah, you're you're such a fuck up that adventuring is your last option. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Be. Which yeah, is great. Curious. I think I think Torchbearer like is like it, that's the one like dungeon crawl game I would play again at yeah. this point. Like I don't think I'd want to do another like D D game where it was a dungeon crawl or an OSR game that it was a dungeon crawl. But like if somebody was like, I am gonna run Torchbearer, I'd be like, Yeah, all right. Yeah. No, it it's definitely it's it models that ex that uh player experience really well. Like it it feels like you're crawling around in a dungeon so yeah which is what you would want right but like <laughs> so <laughs> most of my dungeon crawling experience is like more like a supers game yes exactly so true yeah yeah which is fine and fun and awesome and i i enjoy being a dragon ball z character in medieval <laughs> england but <laughs> but it it can wear itself thin like there's other experiences out there other things, yeah there's other things i want to do yeah for yeah. sure i mean um well i'm curious too so um uh i don't know if mark if you've ever talked about if you have a session zero yeah so um mine is a little um weird in how it's set up so i try to make a very brief i guess what you'd call a session zero um because the way my game is structured is that there's a questionnaire that leads you into the start of your game. Um, so there's a um, sort of going back and forth with everyone at the table about answering question by question. The answers to those questions are written down on a set of cards, and then those cards become the fodder deck for the GM to play with. And so everything is done kind of at the table and at that very first. Uh, session and then when I run it for conventions, I've just been able to lead right into my session one. So it's taken me about an hour to to run that session zero aspect. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Catrice, do you have a session zero as well? I do. Um, it, the interpersonal relationships is a big part of the game, so it's kind of built like even from the species. Uh, setup is that they're very much so designed to intentionally be together with other people like a lot of them have things that it just makes more sense if there's another character that they're attached to in some way shape or form but as soon as you do that like it it naturally bleeds into when you get added to the world, you basically have an in-character session zero, which is like, okay, you've been summoned here. This is the explanation of why you are here. You can ask any of the questions you have about like the setting or what you're expected to do and so on. And it all makes sense in character to do that. So it actually makes sense to do that as part of session zero right yeah and that that's something i i kind of reacted strongly to i don't know if you guys have ever played any of the um glorantha like uh 
I've heard of it, but I haven't played. <laughs> it's famous, I guess, or infamous, depending on your experience, I guess. But uh, it's really detailed. Like, it's a super, super deep world. Um, so much so that, like, when I played a campaign in it, like, I was like, oh, man, there's, like, so many cool things have already happened. Like, what could I possibly do to be useful in this world but it was kind of like you know a good half an hour to an hour of description from the gm of like okay these are the events that have happened to form this world and it was like this long thing and i was like i'm not gonna remember all of this like this is all just me listening rather than me interacting and so yeah the interaction part is a huge part of it i find like being able to ask questions especially in character where your character is like okay this is what i care about why are you not catering to what i care about like i want to know this information if it's not this information i don't care about it kind of thing sure yeah and i I like the i like that it's you know it's it's role playing and it's getting the information that you need to be able to continue to role play um and get more invested in the setting yeah and if you don't ask questions and you basically opt for a very short entry there may be consequences later (laughs) like i'm actually writing a a novel based on the the setting at the moment and protagonist does not actually like her guardian angel and basically got in a fight with her up at the very start rather than going through like the initial briefing and keeps running into problems because of it whereas one of the other characters is knowledgeable about a bunch of stuff and keeps bringing up that they learned it because of the briefing (laughs) (laughs) just kind of rubbing it in on a constant basis (laughs) right on (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's good stuff i mean it's it's fun because like you you're it's you're highlighting the idea like yeah you it, why, why wouldn't you ask questions if you're in a new place and there's somebody who's offering to tell you yep i like it well and you should i mean you should have any time that you're jumping into a new um a new setting you know a new world that you're exploring like you should have a lot of questions and if you don't like there's some serious issues with you as a player in terms of your investment already. Mm. Yeah, it, it can be within character, though. Like, you can have characters that are just like, look, I, I don't even care at this point. Just let's get it over <laughs> with true. kind of thing. It's like, just A, give me a weapon. B, give me something to stab. That is what I need to make me happy. Cover those things and we'll be fine. I'll figure out the rest of it later. <laughs> and it's, I think it's good that you make allowances for like levels of player give a fuck in the opening <laughs> because I mean, I, I don't, may that, that might be to my detriment actually. I haven't yeah, thought about it I before, but that's interesting. Yeah. Camp. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had to design everything to be as wide open as possible with as much variance because I'm aiming for a very wide audience. So 
because it's a wide audience, you have to cater to a very wide set of how people are going to do things. Some people will really want to go into a lot of depth. Others will be just throw me into the action mm. and trying to set it up so that both are viable is actually kind of tricky to do. Yeah. I mean, so much so that I, I don't even try. I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I, 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 I clearly outline what the game's about. And um, yep. I think that that's a problem with a lot of games too, is they don't, you know, they'll, they'll claim to be something or they'll just say like, Hey, we're this and you can use us for everything. And then you play it once and you go, no, you can't. What are you talking about? And, and, but a lot of games make the claim like, Oh, you can totally use, this rule set for for running political games and then there's nothing even there's like a diplomacy skill and they're like okay do i just this is the this is the god stat like what is what are we doing here um <laughs> yeah but but that's you should be honest and upfront about like what your game does and what it expects and the input it's looking for and the output you can expect from it and i think it's and games lately have been doing that. Games have been very yeah. upfront about like, this is a game about World War II bombing witches or ladies from Russia who were wondering, it's hyper specific. And it's like, if you're into this, this is going to be your bag. And if not, you there's so many other games to play. Like, don't even bother with not liking this one because here's what it's about and here's how it's going to feel when you're playing it. And Like, I just think games could be benefit from being more honest about that now that you mention it i hadn't intended for you know being very political but i realized that i've actually built all the pieces i need for that already so i guess well, I yeah could. you should it just wasn't really intentional it's just it was kind of necessary for other things so okay i could make a political game out of it I mean, you already have your own base of operations, and I'd set it up so that you could get literal ambassadors from other factions staying with you so you can keep in touch with them and that you can send out your own spies. And yeah, you can basically run a political game off this. I just didn't intend for that. Yeah, no. It makes sense. It definitely makes sense for what you're working on. I mean, it's. Uh, I will say, I've always, I've always enjoyed the games that have uh, the the really mechanical um, diplomacy kind of stuff. Like I know Burning Wheel had the Duel of Wits, which was pretty cool, and the One Ring kind of has a sort of system, I guess. Where... Yeah, One Ring. They, but their com. I mean, their combat's so abstract. Yes, it's just is, as abstract as their yeah, yeah, <laughs> the all, political it, stuff. Yeah, right. It's it's the same level of abstract, mm -hmm. just like their adventuring phase and all that stuff. Right, right. Which is interesting, certainly. Um, yeah, Legend of the Five Rings too. Well, L five R has like is way deeper on the political stuff because there's more, like it formalizes a lot of that that process. I mean, and and the setting makes sense for it to formalize a lot of that process. So that was that was a wise thing for them to like focus yeah. on. Um, makes sense. Yeah, but like, I totally lost what I was going to say. Anyway, um, <laughs> evaporated. Um, 
What was it? No, it's gone. Weird. <laughs> we'll, we'll fix it in post. There you go. Yeah. Nope, um, leaving it in. Yeah. <laughs> leaving it in. Leave it in. In true flail forward fashion. Um so the one the one real distinction is that you have troop level play. Um so you have the, <laughs> the companies, right? Yeah, the company, and, yeah. So and I just have one character. So Yeah. Even though like you have like you're you're building up more than one character in No. No, you you just it's the traditional you play a character, okay. the other the other players play a character and you go adventuring together. But that's right. yeah. Not uh I do like like the stuff that you've talked about, I'm like, oh yeah, like Hars Magica. I'm like, oh yeah, like that. Yeah, I can rock with that for sure. So, and I've, I don't know, I have this. Uh, I was talking to my designers last night about a, uh, like, teamwork RPG where mm-hmm. you're like setting other players up for things. Um, yeah, but you have like your own little company, and those guys are like, you know, your little team is helping out the other teams to accomplish the objective. Um, but it's one of those things. It's just like sitting in there, marinate more. Yeah. Or, or you could just hack my game. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm fine, fine with that. Like, I mean, I, the, the, the approach engine, um, is totally oh, yeah. portable. Like when you were, when you were describing that is exactly. Yeah. That's, Mm. for that idea yeah and the so the way oh and then so like when you're approaching a thread you have a choice you have effort on your character and those used to be called exertions so mm-hmm. so uh you have effort that you can push to generate consistent power towards the threshold and uh, the threshold is just the sum of the factors that oppose you so it's just like for every difficult thing that's a part of the thread it's plus one nice and broadly, if you can think about it in the moment, it counts. If you can't, then it probably doesn't. If you push yourself and you still are short of the threshold, then you risk. And the risk is when the dice come in. So when you when you make a risk, you are you're rolling a pool of d10s, very usually small, like between one and four at the upper end. And your attributes, grace, force, and mind set the uh, target numbers on the dice. So let's say you have a force of seven and nine. So sevens would count as one success and nines and above would count as two. And so you're rolling the dice and trying to get over over your threshold. Uh-huh. If you get over the threshold, then um, for every one you roll on any of those dice, you make a concession. So you say what factor did something to you and then you concede something from your character. So that could be... Um, you you had to bribe somebody. You had to concede a coin. To do that. You had to um, make a promise to someone. So you concede that you're going to be somewhere in the future. Um, it took extra time, so you place an urgency die on another thread. It you know there's any number of ways to give ground. Uh, but if you succeed, you get the goal. You get your thing moves forward, and you get to find out some stuff or something gets resolved or anything like that. Uh, if you fail to make the threshold then however many factors you failed by you tell a story about like what how that factor screwed you up or changed on on you like at the last minute and you, you weren't prepared for it um and if you roll a one 
and you fail, then consequences happen and consequences are everything goes south. And so a consequence on a thread may force a climax where, so like, let's say your goal is to infiltrate uh, an enemy encampment and get a look at their map for their battle plans. If you fail that and roll at least one, one, uh-huh. then that guy could be captured or killed, probably killed. If just depending on how you establish the stakes in the beginning, if like, if like these guys are kill on site type barbarians, then you're done if they catch you. Um, and then that could happen. You blow the roll, you, you can't, there's no recovering it. And then all the players go like, okay, we got to drop what we're doing and be there. But they get that information yesterday because they can see the future. So they all show up at that moment of this is going to go totally sideways. They have to drop what they're doing, meaning like they have to let the other stuff that they were about to do gain urgency, Um, but they can intervene. So one of the things that I really try to design towards is not letting any one role turn the game into a halt. Like no... Like this is everything is like a decision point. Like anytime the game would enter a fail state, I just hand it off to the players and say, like, what do you want to do? And and hopefully that'll that propels the the idea of the game forward. Um, and it also tends to encourage more risk taking um, because in the back of the players' heads, they know there's a safety net with a cost attached to it that they'd rather not pay, right. but there's still a safety net. What, what what's funny is that like so doing a, a climax can cascade into other climaxes because like you'll put urgency on one on one piece of the story and then have to go and deal with somebody else's screw up and your thing may also trigger while you're away and then you have to everybody has now like zeroed in on that one and everybody's like oh shit we got to go handle this thing and then they have to drop what they're doing as well. And, and so the idea is eventually like, it's just going to be too much and you are going to have to start letting things go wrong. And those things are going to make more story. Right. Cause it's not just the victories. It's also the, the defeats. It's also the defeats. Yeah. And I make it's really the, the, the defeats that happen are important to the game moving forward. So that leads to an interesting question as well for Mitch then. Like in your game, Ashes of the Deep, how do you handle like basically everything going horribly wrong? Like, do you let the players just basically die outright and just make a new character? Or do they have some way out that they may not like the consequences, but they can do it? Or how do you handle it? Yeah, um, so there definitely are situations where people can get in, get in over their heads and uh, obviously the i don't know the the kind of osr thing of retreat is always an option on the table i just find that the tough thing is that a lot of people don't think about retreating as an option um mm. and so a lot of games the, have kind of bred that concept out of yeah them. right because yeah. they're used to being you know a super superhero kind of a thing and they're like oh i can handle this and then that's they get in over their head part of it that's also retreat usually has like bigger consequences or doesn't work a lot of the time oh yeah good point. Yeah, a lot too. of people are really used to you know video games as well 
where like you play like an RPG and it's like, okay, I can run away from these small little enemies that I don't fear. But as soon as I'm in real trouble where I actually need to run away, oh wait, it's impossible to run away. Sure. Yeah. The, um, the only thing that I can think of that really like is your safety net is that in this setting you have uh, the relics that you have are um, really powerful um, objects that are a one-time use while generally a one-time use there are those that are you know exalted relics that you can use multiple times but most from a vast majority of them you can use one time and it will do something that really can help you um, but you have to be creative with it so um, I know in the one shot that I have that I run at conventions, basically people are right from the get go. They're attacked by a blooded lurker, which is it's kind of like a land kraken. I don't know how else to describe it. Sounds awesome. <clears throat> yeah, it's not it's not a it's not something you want to tangle with, but <laughs> especially especially in the night, um, in the mist. But yeah. uh, so they they're kind of like f- pretty much forced to retreat from this because there's no like they they get into a, a battle with one specific tentacle and they realize that they're kind of outclassed so they have to retreat um but they have um some objects that they can use like that will create a uh, a a wall of force um in front of them or um there's a a spike that one of them has that they can punch it through something and it will stay in that spot forever and it can't be moved um so the relics are the thing that um give you your way out um as well as kind of what you're discovering when you're been around the world um besides getting the the supplies that you need but yeah cuz it's it's tough cuz i don't i don't I've not, i haven't had any like total party kills ever um but it's something i definitely need to think about because it certainly could happen because if you are in a fight and you can't, I mean, you can use the resources that you have to recover trauma um, in mm. the fight as an action. So they're not um, permanent, um, but there are, there is a, there are wounds that are, that are like much longer lasting that can affect you. Um, they can be healed temporarily, but they can reopen by being mm. injured, by being injured again. So, uh, I like that idea. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having like have wound, getting rewounded. Yeah, I have I have something called agonies. They they don't rewound though. They they're just kind of like they're more permanent damage in a sense. But uh-huh. um, yeah, that's interesting. I like the idea of like reopening wounds, like having that to be a thing you worry about. That's cool. Yeah, that old battle wound that. Right. Like, I think that's the first time I've heard of a mechanic of reopening them. Hmm? Yeah, I can't take credit. It's pretty much stolen from, uh, well, it's modified, but it's stolen. The concept of it is from uh, the Modifius 2D20, uh, the Conan game. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. That makes, I remember that. That would make sense. Yeah. And I have not played that or read it. So It's one of the coolest parts of the oh. system. <laughs> Yeah, so. actually, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I mean, because that's it's it's very much like their other two D twenty games. Yep. Um, except for I don't recall that piece being. Yeah, I think that's the places. only one that shows up in, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I like their Infinity game. I don't know. I haven't played it yet. Looks cool though. I've read it, but it did look interesting. But yeah, so and it, it I think it ties in better to that specific thing. Ties in better to um, Ashes of the Deep just because it is like I have um, so the different kinds of trauma that you that a character can take are um, they can take uh, injuries, they can take fatigue, they can take um, confusion or doubt, and then mm-hmm. all of those things can also um, become a wound, and then it will um, it will affect those you know those different types of trauma. So you can have things that are coming up where you know you're starting to think about like, oh yeah, this is not this is not a good situation we're in. I, uh, I'm starting to think that you know I'm thinking back to like people that have died in similar situations. I need to that's an old wound that you have um a doubt right. wound hmm. yeah interesting there yeah i did so because my agonies are similar they can be they they're along you know a, any of the attributes like they can hamper you physically or mentally or uh even emotionally i guess uh doubt would be one of those um but yeah I like this idea of like the wound being there and then almost becoming a feature of the character you know, like, uh, that's, that's pretty interesting. Man, every time I try to find one, one thing that we have different, it just seems like they just keep <laughs> similar, well, similar, similar. I think this one's actually different enough that I don't yeah. think it really counts as over. Nah, okay. No, no, no. Right. It's, it's different enough. Yeah, yeah. We, we <laughs> yeah. found the difference. <laughs> yeah, I think you're trying to force similarity in that one. Yeah, yeah. You just, you just really, really want to have found your long lost brother. Right. <laughs> hey man maybe i don't know who knows man I'm, I'm willing to find a brother anywhere there is one there you go um uh but like so 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 for like the the post-apocalypse how much like okay so this is a question i've been struggling with on, on ashes and, and i think when when i say oh, it'll be like for obvious reasons like how how dark does your post-apocalypse get like my default mode i say keep it pg-13 um yeah but like do, because some games also slide like real heavy into like r or like like power by the apocalypse is definitely like it has a sex move in it like it, it, right the apocalypse world not powered by the apocalypse duh apocalypse yeah. world has has yeah. all the characters have a sex move and that's to- totally with the on theme for that game you know it's right it is that sort of like punk apocalypse thing where like that's a a tool people use to to gain power like i don't i don't i make reference to you know the things that happen in wars that anybody can go on google and research what happens um but like i don't i don't like deliberately include rape and consequences thereof uh i don't include you know torture except abstractly um i leave those things off screen yep. get on fatal's level <laughs> no thanks I I, I I i hope my game is never that shitty uh i mean everyone would know about it that's the wrong kind of fame cat how many times are yeah. you telling me <laughs> that's, that's that's infamous Infamy, yeah. yeah it's practically the same thing <laughs> It's true. It's only two letters different, but <laughs> yeah, I try to stick around that 
PG-13 um, kind of level as well. Uh, it's definitely, I mean, I suppose like, I mean, I've played a lot of, uh, uh, I ran Dark Heresy for a couple years. So, so I definitely like, like the, you know, the grimmer, darker kind of um, world, but at the same time to, to balance that out with, you know, some of the other stuff. Um, But yeah, in terms of like, I'm not going to, no, none of the setting is going to be focused on any kind of like things like happening, like rape or anything like that. Um, Yeah. And I, you know, I, obviously that's something that if a GM really wanted to, and for some reason their, their table was, you know, knew ahead of time that that was something that was on the table, then, Mm -hmm. you know, that's their thing, I guess. Once the game is out there, they can do whatever they want with it. Sure. But but it's definitely not something I am going to be venturing into. Um, Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it, it, but, but the thing is like, you know, in, I would say in the, in the like eighties and nineties, that wouldn't be even. Oh yeah. Right. discussed wouldn't you know like it wouldn't even be a question but like now like there are games like like bluebeard's bride is pretty much explicitly about sure i mean rape and murder i mean like <laughs> right like that's gonna happen and it's it's uh there's games where you can you know it's because you know it, it's funny when you remember in the 90s when uh the, the the parents really wanted to put like ratings on video games and all right. it did was make make video games like comically more violent uh like in right. in like two years like it was whole like it was like oh there's rating on game we can do anything and it's like i feel like a, a slice of the rpg market is kind of going in that direction where it's like oh yeah where like the safety's off in a in a sense where they can say like put in the front of the book like this is going to be sexy and violent and all kinds of crazy shit sure. and uh and you can and then you can do that uh and i i didn't know where you landed on that spectrum so i was just curious because like you know strangely enough i i don't think that like when you say how something is dark the topics that you were covering i don't really consider those to be the darkest topics like most of the the worst things that you can cover are things like your character just breaking down mentally entirely like everything that describes like who they are as an individual just falls apart around them like that actually ends up being a lot worse for people in a lot of ways but we generally consider that to be like pg-13 strangely enough yeah and that i mean that's totally that is definitely within the realm of what the game can do i mean the where things are right now like if you you could take enough trauma and you could snap like and you don't die in terms of uh like obviously if you take enough injuries you physically die but for all intents and purposes you can snap and be a, a player character that is no longer playable Has that happened in any of your play tests no nobody's gotten pretty no, no one's really pushed that that level <laughs> partially because of the way that you um Recovered doubt. Let me. Which one's which? Um, confusion and doubt are similar because they're both kind of mental. Um, if they're hard to for you to keep separate, then you might want to take a look at the complexity there. there right. Might be too much. Yeah. Sure. Um, 
the so confusion comes back through um introspection like thinking mm. about your motives and so if you take some time mm. to, to talk about like just describe to the players like what you're kind of thinking about and your thought process and how you know mm, you're, cool. you're kind of write, writing yourself um and then doubt comes back through um interacting with another um player character um and kind of working through the situation in terms of like saying the things that you're going through and like oh yeah i, I don't know about this like you know these things that are happening and then kind of navigating that with another um, character recover um all of your doubts so doubt's a little bit easier to get back in terms of uh doesn't take resources but it does take time right. so as long, as long as you have the time you can get back your doubts so i haven't had anyone break but i think it's usually because people see their resources dwindling and they're like okay we gotta we gotta hold up here like let's just take a minute and take a few minutes and kind of do some talking because it doesn't you know it's not like oh i need to save this food because i need to eat today mm -hmm. well, we can talk we we have time i haven't uh, the the uh i don't have a campaign yet um i have mm -hmm. a play test coming up this uh this fall um my my friend is going to be running it so that'll be interesting so i've handed in the rule set and uh, he's going to be running it. I'm actually going to be playing in it, which I feel like is a little weird. Um, but partially it's so I can figure out the uh, the magic system. Because um, mm. I feel like, I don't know, a lot of times when I pick up a system for the first time, and it's like, oh, you're going to play this new game. And it's like, yeah, uh, I'm going to be a magic user. And it's like, ooh, that's that's taken on a different level of commitment. So right. So this way I can like see, like, oh, yeah, this isn't really working. I'm going to change these things, and it affects me as a player character. Um, mm, I see, but it'd also be interesting to have him like ask questions where he's like, "Yeah, hey, wait, how does this work?" And then we can work through, it and I can figure out where the where the issues are. But I see, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if I can kind of let him take the reins because obviously the setting as well. Like he just has the notes that I have written down. I don't have like mm. all the I have a history kind of a timeline of sorts, and then little descriptions here and there. But it's not like you know, it's not what you'd normally get if you picked up an RPG. So yeah, okay. So, but that's good getting it to that stage. Like the last rewrite, I was almost ready to hand it off to play, like blind play test. Like here's the rule set, go. Uh, and then, and then, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, I just saw a way to make this game completely coherent, but I'm gonna have to rewrite the whole thing from the bottom up. Uh, okay. Shit. Yeah. And I'm Thanks. 55 pages into that one, so I'm getting, I'm almost there like in terms of like uh, being able to run it with this new with the new version um i i'm pretty close probably maybe well i i want to say two weeks but that's that's probably pushing it um but yeah hopefully yeah. once i get that then then i can start working on the bat the, the guide stuff and but sure yeah. yeah i'm hoping that through this you know uh going through a campaign and seeing how long-term play works like in the next like optimally within the next like six months i'd be able to have something that i could put online um that other people can start playing because i i feel like it's kind of i don't know it's tough to just throw something out there and be like hey i haven't really played as this long term hopefully you guys can um so that way i can have a little informed um some play testing stuff yeah that's what I need to get to. Are you looking to are you looking to self publish or Kickstarter or, or shop it around or do you have a plan yeah. going forward? 
I don't know. I'm kind of pretty uh, DIY in general, so mm. I probably would want to kickstart it. Obviously, I don't know all that goes into that, but I know that it's a lot of work. Um, but that's kind of my my plan um, mm. is to kickstart it. But I don't know what I don't know yet. I guess so. It's always possible I could say, "Oh yeah, this is way too much to take on." So yeah. Have you been doing uh, like art or anything yet, or doing any other like production stuff besides? Yeah, I haven't done any. Okay. Any of the art for any of the art for it? I, I honestly probably would. My my plan is to once I put something online like a a beta of sorts and say you know start getting people play testing it. Um, if I can see some movement in that area, then I would start. Um, I've kind of been looking at different different artists that are out there um mm-hmm. because i i could my wife is always saying like oh yeah you could just totally do this yourself and i'm like well yes i could do it myself yeah. but the time required to do it myself like this game's not going to be out in like the next five years unless if i do it myself yep. so this way i could you know kind of be a little more of a uh, creative director yep. for some people and say hey this is really you know this is what i have in mind and uh and then have them kind of fill it up with some art yeah i got one guy i'm collaborating with right now that he's i'm I'm really glad to be working with him but he's only ever done metal album covers before um oh. and i wanted that but that's who i want i want just sure. yeah. just metal album guy cover guys so i'm reaching out to more um but he's 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 excited about the project which is really cool so he's 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 done one piece already he's going to be doing another one in september um and that's uh awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. And then I'm doing my own. I'm I'm drawing, I'm doing drawings for the art for the interior, like the, you know, like the little black and whites that will be like. Sure. Let's fill up this column space. That so I'll, I'm doing some of that stuff. Yeah. So it's yeah, but it's I'm like trying to figure out like how much I want to. And I'm also doing all the layout myself because I'm a crazy yeah, person. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh huh. Yeah, we're all like, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, well, that's uh, the thing. Uh, if you're willing to design a game, you generally are of the type that you want absolute control over everything, right? Because yeah, if you didn't that. have that need of control, you wouldn't be designing the game. You'd probably just play one that already exists, right? Yeah, yeah. We're all a little sick like that. Yeah, <laughs> especially if you're designing. You know, at any point have looking into doing the universal thing it's just yeah. like oh yeah like <laughs> yeah yeah yep. that's a that's a that's a tall order I, like so for for me i was like looking at this latest version of ashes and ashes the magi not your ashes um, <laughs> and uh and being like oh i could i see where i could take this system and make it portable like the the resolution system and this could be portable right. to like any setting and i could probably even like strip this down to like 20 pages and and make yeah. it fairly coherent and be like huh that would be that would be a pretty cool like extra here's a generic version of this like did you like this yep. system but like hated the shit out of my setting that's fine here's the here's the system naked um but right. i think i would do that like yeah. afterwards you know yeah yeah that makes and sense. especially since like there are chunks of my system that really heavily depend on the player characters being able to see the future so i don't know right. actually besides the approach system i'm not sure how much more of it would be portable like the initiative system is very like 
this it works for this but unless you have some sort of like computer-aided predictive algorithm or fantasy see the future type powers or um you know you can send your past self back in time or something i don't know you know take your take your take your right. initiative defeating mind fuckery whatever it looks like and and you have but that's necessary for this combat system to work um sure oh yeah yeah uh but that's the, that's the that's the downside of having like a game that's like really <laughs> tightly bound between setting yeah. and rules like yep. but that's also the upside because people like are you know when they interact with the with the setting there's very little gap between the rules and the setting and that's obviously a positive exactly. i think that's why yep. you know after we played gurps the first couple of years like i didn't want to go back to it because there was just it was well also we were playing like pre-internet too so that was a thing but like you know knowing there's other games that handle like horror like i i wouldn't play a GURPS horror game you know i'd want to do i right. want to use a system that was specifically set up for it you know mm. um and that's that's generally been my experience going forward with most most games like i think I, I think savage worlds is is one that does generic really well because it's like the idea of savage worlds is like we're just throwing crazy shit at the wall and seeing what sticks in some sense like and right. I feel like their version of their, their their version of riffs is like the perfect like amalgamation of game and setting because riffs setting is bananas, but its traditional rules are just just oh, horrific. Yeah. And Savage Worlds has this great like pretty fast running system, but yep. like some of it's honestly like pretty low powered, and you're like, eh, I could that's fun. But like when you're doing riffs in Savage Worlds, it's like, oh, this is perfect. Like this is exactly what I wanted from both of these games and and it, it like that was my very favorite version of sad i also sad that the goblin horde i want to shout out because saga of the goblin horde is my Excellent favorite choice. setting x yeah it's great it's just so fun it, that that's one of my favorite like rules modules for savage worlds but yeah highly recommend checking that out uh if if uh, anybody out there has not seen it um and then the other one that i uh, like for generic is fate because fate like yep is one where it's very like generic literary pulp fiction type stuff where it's like let's tell a good story about these characters that have that are you know motivated by these things and have these tr problems and yeah. we're not super concerned about how much ammo you have you know or how fast the thing is going that you're trying to shoot or how big it like gurps's speed size table yep <sighs> bro I don't want to see that thing again. <laughs> I, just don't, oh, yeah. I don't want to look at it. Um, right. But, well, yeah. yeah. The moment when you're doing, uh, you know, actual uh, physics, you know, formulas to resolve you bumping into somebody else. It's like, boy. Or even abstracting out physics formulas to, to get a <laughs> dice ready. Like I'm, uh, that's, I'm good. I'm good, man. I don't want to even go that far. <laughs> right. I agree. But 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 still, like, it it's the kind of thing where like a generic game doesn't sell itself all that well. Um, you want to have a feel yeah. that you're going for with a generic game. Gurps Gurps is like notorious for having like no built-in feel except for like mathy. Even and it's not even that mathy. Like if you actually play it, it's not really that mathy. But like it has that feel going for it, which makes it tricky to sell to people. Yep. Yeah, I've been trying to think about how the the universal part of mine will 
if it'll continue in terms of like where to go from here because i i think that the part that i'm trying to narrow in on is just maybe that it's just and i know that it's tough to say like uh, every rpg is kind of well not every but a lot of rpgs are about survival because if your characters die the game is over um but the survival kind of stuff is so baked into um the system that like that's the thing i'm thinking about is like oh um you know oh i could make a science fiction you know just purely sci-fi setting where it's like oh you're on the fringes of space surviving stranded on planet yeah 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 or even i don't know like kind of like uh like firefly um sure love it like where you're like you know you're struggling to survive because not you can't go wherever you want and do whatever you want it's like well these are resources that we're expending so so that's something i've been thinking about and i've also like contemplated and i don't know if you guys have thought of this like a free version of your rules like because my intent i guess is to sell um ashes of the deep so i'm curious of what you guys are thinking in terms of um, mine's basically going to be completely free for the base game as PDF, full color pictures and everything in it. I I started from the very start thinking of that. Sure. Because to be perfectly honest, um, the base uh, game I, oddly what's, what's, does. Just, I'm sorry. Just 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 because Mitch isn't familiar with your game. What's your current page count and what's the percentage of it that's done? for ballpark i will give you an exact answer in just a moment when it actually loads (laughs) because the scope of what she's giving away is really what's really what i want what what i want you to understand (laughs) yeah the context um because when I, she first told me about this, I was like, okay, that sounds right. You're like, you're giving away the base game and then like, you're going to like the, the, the supplement market is what you're going to, adventures and all that stuff. Like the setting and stuff. like, that seems totally reasonable. And then she sent me over like the beta and it's like, this is half done. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's. Uh, 4.29. I'd say it's roughly 75, 80% done. You're insane. What? (laughs) (laughs) What are you giving away a 500, (laughs) fucking 600 page book? You're nuts. I love you, but you're nuts. Like, like keep in mind that, like, the base game isn't where you get most of your sales from usually anyway, in something like that. Like, I'm building this so that I can keep adding expansion content for a very long time. Like, I can probably pump out three or four of these a year for each one probably like 200 pages. I could do that pretty easily with the way I'm setting this up. So, like, that's the kind of thing that... That's where almost all your sales get are from, so... If you have the base game is free, then it means you have a larger audience that can get started, and then there's a larger audience to buy stuff later. Right. Yeah. The the I I don't know about the psychology of that though. If I get six hundred free pages, it's kind of like 
Whoa, that's a lot. That's a lot. You might want to. You know, There's a lot of pages. I mean, you uh, might you might want to have like a light a light version. Oh, I, I'm planning that. on a light version as well. Like that is actually intended. Like I I want to have like a a stripped down one that is just going to be the light of Sayorsa is what it'll be called. So nice play on words there, but that's just going to be like very nice small little compact thing that basically would be a universal system because most of the parts of it can be used universally it's just not the way i currently have it set up well and hopefully you're maybe i'm hoping your plan too is potentially like putting on like something like itch where you can take donations if if people do want to give you money because they're like yes your heavens like 600 pages like yeah definitely something for this like yeah, okay. at, at the moment i'm running off a patreon at the moment which is bringing in about a hundred us per month so that's helping cover a lot of the expenses but it's not enough on its own sure um, it'll eventually have to have like you know other forms of donations or whatever show up so have you have you considered the ransom model of uh <laughs> well yeah. greg stoltz oh, yeah. did this with rain yep. which was a pretty pretty interesting idea that he would like yep. do a supplement and then he like all right when i get 900 bucks i release a supplement to everybody and that was like i was like huh that's interesting i don't that's clever yeah yeah it's an interesting idea i i i don't think i i'm Ashes doesn't isn't set up to for me to write extra shit for it. Unfortunately, maybe this is a downfall of the system, but it is self-contained, and then it is you know it's done. It when right. like I don't I don't envision ever writing supplemental material for it. Really, I mean, I may. Yeah. Well, in my particular case, though, it's like I'm like a world design specialist first and foremost mm. i'm setting this up so that i can just build new planets and do right, that right. full time because that's yeah. really what i want to be doing like the game is basically existing as an excuse to do that <laughs> sure why not man i mean that's it, and it's, that's great because like it's it's the kind of thing if you took that to a publisher and you're like, hey, I'm working for this publisher, and I'm working for this RPG house. And like, hey, what do you, what kind of game you want to pitch us? Like, <clears throat> well, I want to design a framework that lets me design worlds at infinitum. And then they're like, so D and D, and they're like, you're like, mm, no, <laughs> no, but you're close. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A, a rule set is portable to all of these different planets, but also they're self consistent and all the. And then, and then they go, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of thing that's this has to be self-published. Yeah. I think it'll do well, but it's the kind of thing that it's like this is like a book that if it was like a novel, it'd be something like Lord of the Rings kind of thing. Right. Where it's like if any publisher saw that today, pitch to them, they'd be like, hell no, get out of my office. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Listen, this doesn't have a plucky female protagonist. Uh for one. There's there's no there's no love interest. I don't know what what the hell you're doing here. Like what, what is this book even? There's it's just songs. The first half is just songs. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs>
and poems <laughs> and like you know a three-page description of a tavern and you know it also has to go into detail of like the history of where the wood from the tavern's bar came from yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who is this Bombadil character? He never appears again. What is? What, what are you doing? Yeah. Oh God, that's actually where I stopped reading. <laughs> like I got through that section, and it was like, I was getting really annoyed in that. It was like, this is just dragging on, and I hate it. And it's like the only reason I'm reading this is because it's related to the plot. And it's, I get through it, and it's like, that was fifty pages straight of garbage, and I. I could have skipped it. I'm not going any farther. That's it. I'm done. All right, that was it. <laughs> and then I, then I see like the movies come out and they skipped it entirely, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. This is the funniest thing ever. Yeah. Um, they skipped that and they added in a bunch of other stuff. So, yeah, you know. yeah. well, the things that they added, they probably needed to add. I don't know the barrel, the barrel scene in the river. Oh, the Hobbit. Yeah, that was that was pretty rough. <laughs> Although that was yeah. that was in the books. But they did actually at least yeah. cover the War of Five Armies instead of and then a great battle ensued. Right. Yeah. Like I mean, no, a right. build up to that <laughs> conclusion of one sentence. It's like new. No. <laughs> it's totally true. You're right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty funny. Like the kinds of things you could, you can, you can't get away with now. Oh, that's so um, true. Yeah. Have you thought about the publishing side of things, Mark? Where, where you're gonna? I yeah, I have. Um, I not that I have a conclusion for you, but. Oh man. <laughs> He's been thinking. I, uh... Sorry. He's been thinking. Yeah. Um. I I've thought about the Kickstarter route for myself. I've got a smaller game. Um, and right now I've been happy to share it with people for free. So I'm, I, I think I'm at a point in my game where I would rather share everything, get feedback and learn from the experience than try to make money off of it. Um, and that feels really, uh, relaxing, I guess, in a way there's not a lot of stress associated with trying to, recoup any costs um sure. and i think that's been the the way that i'm going to move forward with this as a project just for my own peace of mind and then if at some point this does become a game that i feel is complete and um its own little package i think that's the point where i'd probably try to uh put it online for a nominal amount and see if other people want to pick it up and try it um, but while it's in development and everything, and I'm I'm just releasing it for free, and I have no plans for worrying about my own IP or if other people are going to rip it off and how accessible sure. that demo version is. I'm just trying to learn and understand what I'm doing wrong. So right. Well, and that makes sense. I mean, I don't know where the uh, the fear of people stealing your designs comes from, but the the amount of work that it is to to make an RPG actually work. It, I think it comes from you, Palladium. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could be. Uh, no, you're, yeah, you're 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 absolutely right too. I think it's um, a paranoia that some people have in terms of 
just trying to get their work out there and, and being open and willing to share. Um, and I think especially because we're all amateur designers that we don't have the luxury of being able to say my my work is worth X amount of dollars. And I'd, I'd rather just, um, I don't know, take this as a, a learning step than to take it as a, a business and commercial step. Right. But That makes sense. Yeah. I, uh, I feel like especially because this is our my first RPG, I, I'm i not worried about it. Yeah. I don't know what... The prospect sounds really fun, and I've seen people that have been successful with releasing their own first one commercially. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think at this point I'd rather get it in people's hands, have them know what kind of designs I like, and uh, if they agree with it, then I'm I'm happy to work from there. But... I would argue one point about how people usually say, like, your first RPG or your first game or your first novel or whatever is garbage. Yeah, it's right. like, yes, that's true, but that's true of everything that you build. It, the first draft is always going to be garbage. The first draft of a novel is always going to suck. And that's why you redo it over and over and over. And by the time you're on like the fifth major rewrite, you can't really consider that to be the same thing anymore. Agreed. I don't think like this isn't going to be your first game by the time you release it. It's going to be like your sixth game. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. I like my, my girlfriend right now is um, writing in her, her spare time. And she's got a group of people that she can bounce her ideas off of to get the feedback on her first novel. And whether or not that goes anywhere, just the process of having shared it with people um, is helpful. And That's actually the important step, yeah. Exactly. And I think it's harder for us with a niche industry to be able to find a local group. And Mitch, you were talking about your group, and it's, it's great that you have that because it's hard to find. Um, and for, in my experience, I guess, um, the easiest way for me to do it is to be sharing it online and not caring who is picking it up on the other end or that it's going to be online forever. Um, it's just so that I can get that feedback and learn how to make the next copy, the next version. So maybe the, the sacrifice is bigger in terms of who else gets to see my, my shit work. But I, I'd rather take that, learn from it from the internet, and then be able to continue developing so I get to book nine and get to whatever my, my tenth iteration of it um, with the, the right feedback. So, yeah. Actually, there's one thing I would like to segue off of that is, like Mitch, you'd... you'd have mentioned your design team there as well like do you think any of them are actually far enough along that they'd actually be ready for like an interview maybe oh um my design team doesn't really exist anymore <laughs> oh. Yeah. oh well i suppose yeah. that answers that question <laughs> yeah the uh the my friend who was writing for me she um she's too like toddler-ish age kids so she's, and that, 
I was, I was like before child number two is when we started this process. And so like pretty much this summer is when she wrapped up the stuff that we had loose ends on so that she could just focus on that. So, so yeah, I'm pretty much, uh, unfortunately I'm pretty much a one man team these days. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. But like, it's, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of this is going to be, you know, it's, it's almost hermeticism. Like it's, yeah. it's being so focused on one thing for like years. I mean, this is my, Ashes is up to point thirty one at this point. Like, I could show you a PDF from five years ago and export one right now, and and then if I describe them to you, you would not think they were the same game, except for like there's troop level play. Yep. And and as a post apocalyptic magical setting, but that's like that's that's almost the, the only two things that have stuck around. Like the entire setting's different. It's really different from the beginning. The mechanics are really different. Like I like that first version was like try and make a a more mechanically functional D and D experience, um, and this version is like I couldn't care less about the D and D experience, and the game's going to be very upfront about that. It, it's going to be an engine for telling a story about this cast of characters, not a simulation of their actions. And it, it's a very particular like set of choices and goals and themes I'm trying to express. And I wouldn't have gotten here, but for designing all the versions that didn't work. Totally understand. Yep. I'm in the same, same boat for sure. Yeah. And the, like the next game I do, like I've thought about doing like a sci-fi version of this where it is like, planetary defense force you have you know implanted computers that predict things to a certain degree of certainty right. and it's basically the same game sci-fi with a slightly different theming and it's like that that might be fun to do but like i that it honestly like the more like the more i do this game like the less i want the next game i do to resemble anything like it you know like to, yep. I, it's going to be a totally different I mean, maybe it'll be 75% different. It'll still be me writing it, obviously. So there's only so different I can make it. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would want to do something like totally not, not, I, I don't, I wouldn't want to explore the same stuff again. You know, I wouldn't want to sure. retread ground. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of, a lot of games do that without, without forging ahead. You know, like I feel, like I, it pains me to say this, but the last edition of Call of Cthulhu was n not a big leap forward in terms of making me feel like I'm playing an investigator in the 1920s. Okay. It's still, it's you know, it still has uh, a sanity hit point track that is essentially a hit point track. Still, it's it's not like there's not a modern understanding of mental illness and trauma present in the mechanics of that game, and sure. so it's going to feel at this point to modern sensibility is going to feel a little clunky. Um, and I like, I would want to do a call, a call of Cthulhu game that was very much about the degeneration of the investigators as they delve deeper and deeper into this stuff. And like, I would want to represent the fact that you have to give up certain things in order to delve deeply into the mythos. And that's what makes you look like that. Like, like one of the first things to go is probably hygiene. Cause you, who gives a shit? Like the day, like, <laughs> I mean, the world's going to end any moment. Yeah. 
yeah, I'm trying to act, you know, we're, it, it doesn't matter. Like, it, like, who cares? There's elder gods. It doesn't, wh why does brushing your teeth like a thing that's valuable to do with your time <laughs> after you know that fact? It's like, it's not. And so that would be represented somehow. I don't know how I'd do it, but like the idea that you get, your actions make less sense to sane people despite the fact that you think you're total, you're doing exactly what you should be doing, but to everyone else, it's going to look like you're nuts. And that's the, the idea. And so like, that would be the core of the game would be that version of call. It would be like, yeah, I know I'm carrying around a bag full of hands. Obviously. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> There's a perfectly legitimate explanation yeah. for this. I, Unfortunately, I, I yeah. can't explain why to you. Otherwise, <laughs> you will actually think that this is a good idea as well. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't, I want to protect you from the fact that I have a suitcase full of hands. Like I don't, but I need them. And <laughs> if you were me, you would need them too. And you're just going to have to trust me. <laughs> but like, that's the kind of game. That's the kind of thing that would be interesting to do in a Call of Cthulhu game. Like the, you know, this event, uh, this degeneration of, of 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 morals and social norms and all of these things that like Lovecraft was actually getting at that like yeah we're humans and we're all big and important but have you have you looked up and seen the stars and like how do you consider yourself important then like what 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 possible relevance could any speck of humanity have and like that's the core idea <laughs> called Cthulhu and that's not in the fucking game anywhere but that's yeah. like the the central theme of Lovecraft's horror is that like you don't matter. I mean, it is kind of funny though that you bring up the concept of like you don't matter, and that was, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That was like their ultimate torture tool was literally just an entire map of the universe, and it just zooms in more and more and more and then it just shows you are here and it's like this is basically what breaks people is seeing the true scale of the universe and just how tiny and insignificant you are but that's what they used to completely destroy people's psyches it was like the worst possible torture you could possibly have and it's just such a simple thing and, but that's the, that's the idea. It's like he was recapitulating the, the the Lovecraftian horror motif of human endeavors, total insignificance in the face of one minor solar burp. <laughs> right. You know, like in grappling with that fact, because like, because people forget this, but did anybody remember the, uh, the incident in like, I think it was in 1910, there was a solar flare that, that took out telegraph lines pretty oh, much. Yeah. yeah, that was a huge thing. I think that actually, I think like that sparked the cosmic horror genre. I think that was the event that did it. I mean, this is totally, this is totally speculative. I have no evidence to back this up, but, <laughs> but the idea that like, oh yeah, the sun could just fart and we'd be over. Like that's. Yeah. It, it could, like it probably won't in that way, but it could destroy like a lot of our technology with a good solar flare. Our infrastructure would be hilariously destroyed and then people would just starve to death because all, oh, yeah. none of our food is produced locally, basically. Right. I mean, mine is. 
Okay, yours is. But the people in the country wouldn't starve, but cities would become fucking nightmares. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah it's like it the would be one advantage a- for living in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, is that you're insulated from the apocalypse. It's actually something I put in ashes. Is like the, the, the small towns, they're probably fine. If they had a wall, even better. But like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to ask one thing that's sort of related to where we were at. And this was... Something I kind of thought of earlier, but I didn't actually bring up, but it was like the idea of is there something in your game for like the rules and such that you just wouldn't do to your players? That's just something that you would say is going entirely way too far. Because there was like an example I saw recently in a video game um bravely second and the final boss that you're on is just like i want you to feel absolute despair so when you get the boss down to about half life they just pause the game on you and then starts opening the game's menu goes down to options to your saved game file and goes over to the delete button and it's like well 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 Stop. Wow. No, this is too much. <laughs> Whoa. That's interesting. It actually doesn't happen. They managed to intervene in it on you, on your behalf, but it's like, okay, this is not okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, D&D has that sort of thing with, like, the g- gentleman's agreement of, like, not using Morgan Kanan's disjunction. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Because it's like we want the that we want all that magic shit he's carrying. Don't cast that spell. I mean, yes, we'd win the fight, but like, don't don't do that. Yeah, uh, in terms of like for my game, uh, I can't imagine doing something like that to my players anyway. I don't know. I kind of like the rule of uh, I, it's a, I don't know if it's really a rule, but the be a fan of your players thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. Uh, I, I like to do things that cause them to uh, the, all the stuff in the system is to get them to, to role play and to, to be torn between things um, and to explore their character. But when it comes to like, yeah, like trying to ruin their experience, I don't know that I would ever want that to happen. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird that some games take it as granted that that's what everybody's showing up for. Like, and not a yeah. lot of games. I, I mean, it's associated. I mean, that that style of play, I think, is associated more with OSR yeah, type stuff. But that. like, that's, I, I, I think in OSR, that's actually quite rare. Um, but yeah, I think even that it's pretty rare. But there are definitely those who believe that. Yeah, the GM and such should be an adversarial role where right you're trying to basically make them suffer and the goal is to make them lose and it's like i don't even even think it's just the make them lose part i think it's the going out of your way to actually do things that will frustrate them Mm -hmm. Uh, that's just removal of agency i I mean that's what that's what we're really talking about is like your your action didn't either your action didn't matter or your choice didn't matter or character it's one it's one of those usually you can check a box of like this sucked for the player it was generally the gm coming in and like scooping agency out um 
Well, that yeah. are automating it with the dice. Like, there are those that it's like, somebody had asked recently the thing about, um, like, is it okay to cheat so that your players don't die in combat in D&D? And it's like, well, the only way for you to die in combat in D&D, honestly, is to fail a bunch of rolls in a row. Like, at that point, you're leaving it up to chance that the players might die. If you don't want there to be a chance for everybody to die, then you probably shouldn't be relying on the dice in that case. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's that's true. Yeah, to try pretty hard to to kill everybody in D D. Yeah, at least. in fifth edition, it's very much so what the OSR mindset on the matter is is. If you are going to roll the dice, then you should be sticking to the dice, because if you're just like, yeah, I didn't like that result, then why are you rolling it in the first place? Yeah, well, and I, I like I like the OSR kind of foundational principle on that. In general, you shouldn't really need to roll the dice all like for everything, so... If, if, you, if you do roll them, because it really is a conflict and it could be interesting, um, what you're doing is meaningful and risky, then, then yeah, I mean, there's no reason not to stick to them. I won't, what was the point in rolling them? So Yeah, it's, the same, it's, it's exactly the same place where OSR and story game style, like story creation engine games, like converge is on that point. It's like roll when the fiction says it's interesting. There are, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of games of both sides that on, on more OSR words, like roll every 10 feet for search roll. I mean, there's a lot there, right. there is that, that does exist. Um, yep. But I think for the most, like the philosophy as expressed in its best rule sets would tell you to say like, no, 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 you, you describe what you do and then roll search for like this whole section of the dungeon type thing. Like they just describe how you are foraging in the wilderness and then like well you know when you're hungry we'll make a roll for like your thing um yep i think the problem is uh, the problem with osr is that it tends to rely on d20s which are not consistent and so though that right. the, i think the principle tends to break down because the dice system doesn't support it doesn't Being used in that way really yeah it it, yep. it the dice system is such that like it becomes fair in the aggregate, but any one particular role could be wildly swingy. Whereas dice pool systems like yours and mine are more consistent right. in that one role um, rather than in the aggregate over like the quote unquote adventuring day, you know? Yep. Um, yeah, no, that's a good point. Cause uh, yeah, I, the D20 definitely is at the core of it. Um, hmm. And I know I like the the documents that are out there. The um, oh, I can't think what they're called now, but the the primer and there's a couple other ones that are like kind of the distilling down the foundation of what the OSR is. And I like mm -hmm. their their kind of descriptions of like like you don't need to make a search role. Like you go into the room and tell me how you're searching. Like right. what do you what is it that you're doing? Um, yeah, but my problem with that is then you can't be better than your character at something. Um, that's so because because there's no mechanical representation of the character there. It's just you're deciding 
your description. And I feel sure. at some point, like the mechanics have to step in and say when your character is better than you at something um, or worse, for example. Um, it, so I, I don't, for me, that, I mean, that line in my game is where it is. Um, but I, I see the OSR, that idea as being just, it falls just a little short of what I want in a game, out of a game, you know? Yeah, that's, that's a fair critique. So for you, does that, oh, fuck, I probably shouldn't ask another question. It's almost been three hours, but like, but for you, for you, for you, does, does, where do you draw that line? Like, when do you call for a role in the system? It's like, it, from what I'm understanding, your game, like, it, it right. only rolls when you get to that moment of, of, we don't know how this is going to go. And the role decides on the fic like the role is essentially establishing the fictional position after the action. Right. Yeah. It's something that um, I've been thinking about a lot lately, partially trying to adjust that because I, so one of my criticisms that I get a lot for dice pools is that, Oh, it takes, you know, it takes a long time to build a dice pool and then to roll it and resolve it. Mm. And I've done things to try to mitigate that, but at the same time, like it's it's still a fair um, criticism um, if people want faster resolutions. And I do um, I like the the emphasis on describing obviously how you're doing things, so it makes sense that you don't always have to roll. Mm -hmm. um, and so at this point, what I've been kind of doing is that if um, if it's a situation where there isn't like any uh, there's not like a lot of risk if it's not going to be super interesting mm -hmm. and you have skill in that, then I mm -hmm. say that you don't have to roll. Um, yeah. But then yeah. if there is, you know, it, you're trying something that is um, pushing yourself. It's like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah, this, this could be dangerous. You know, you're getting in over your head. Like then it's like, okay, even though you have skill in it, you're going to need to roll because whether you have skill or not, because things are, there's tension here. Right, 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 so, right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I, I mean, that it's very similar to way, the way I do it with like the pushes. So it's like, you know, this is, this is you not taking a risk. This is you taking a risk. So like decide what you want to do. Um, the, the, the idea of like, we're only going to roll the dice or indeed even, even bring up the mechanics when the situation becomes uh, challenged or uncertain or dramatic. And so those are the moments when you really want to have a fork in the story, you know, right. That's when the dice should, ideally that's when the dice should come in. And the idea that I keep trying to stress that it doesn't make sense to say, well, something's trivial to you, but there's always that chance of failure. And it's like, no, no, there's not. Uh, <laughs> unless there are mitigating circumstances. No, there's really not. If you want to have a chance to fail, do something actually difficult. Right. If, if it's something that you can do in your sleep, then no. Un unless it's like pouring down rain and somebody's like trying to hack through the door with an axe while you're trying to do it, then you're not distracted enough to, to screw it up. Yeah. Yeah, that... Definitely lines with what I'm thinking too. I mean, and I know partially, I think part of why it's kind of essential for me too is that, so for motives to work well, if you're always rolling and it's like you're doing just really trivial things that are 
based on your motive, then you're getting mm -hmm. experience points for it up to a point. Um, so it does have a cap on it, but it's still, it's like, no, you, you don't need to roll for that. Like, you know, King Arthur right. going, going to see Lady Guinevere, just walking up a set of stairs. It's like, it, it's fine. That's your, Guinevere's your motive. It's your passion. That's fine. But you don't get to roll to go up the set of stairs. Like, <laughs> right. You do in most of the 40k games. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sorry, but I like Warhammer 40k, but their RPGs are like, you have like a 40% chance to like trip and break your neck doing almost everything. It, the, the failure chances are ridiculous and they apply to pretty much every situation no matter how small like they encourage you to roll for everything and it's like this is insane there's the, there's the issue of the the a space marine in 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 right well it wasn't dark heresy but it was uh what was it called death watch yeah. um has a 40 like base like a base space starting space marine has a 45 percent chance to do a single pull-up like while in powered <laughs> armor and you're just like what <laughs> this is a guy Flip that can that, yeah exactly yeah it's a coin it's a coin toss like he can do a pull-up one like no this is a genetically engineered super soldier who right. can carry without any encumbrance a ton literally a thousand pounds on his back and that's before that's before putting on the powered armor and like then it's like a, a small fucking honda like you could put a civic on this yeah. guy and he'd take no encumbrance penalties until he was running for eight hours and he can do a one pull up forty five percent of the time. You're like, come on. He's so heavy. He has to lift his own body weight. That's why. I don't know. Yeah, I, but he's in power armor. That's enhancing his strength. <laughs> yeah, there's some flaws. That's for sure. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully they've. I haven't read it exactly, but I hopefully they've fixed some of that in uh, the Wrath and Glory. But, yeah, I think Wrath and Glory is pretty much like. It, I think it's geared more towards the roll when it's significant type thing, not the because it's a dice pool. Yeah. Um, Although the feel of Wrath and Gorley just doesn't just doesn't scream 40k at me like Dark Heresy did. Like Dark Heresy, that book was gorgeous. Yeah. Well, and you're such a small, small fish in yeah. Dark Heresy and all of that that you yeah. definitely felt uh futile, which I yeah. guess that's that's why those percentages work, because mm -hmm. really are not what you should be. But yeah, Dark Heresy is essentially Call of Cthulhu in the 40k universe. That's what it that's the game you're playing there. That's, yeah. I mean, and great. That's exactly the kind of game I like to run. But, um, yep. Mechanics wise, yeah, I would have I would have done a lot different. Stop. Oh yeah. Uh, we well, need an intervention. <laughs> yeah, we do. It's been three hours. I mean, we just did three hours. It's pretty, pretty good. Friggin' I, this is a Joe Rogan podcast. Jesus. <laughs> just break into parts. It'll be fine. <laughs> well, shit, man. Uh, thank you. This has been a, this has been a great conversation. I, I welcome anytime you want to come back on the show. Just yep. holler. We got oh, yeah. more to talk about. I mean, when your when your game starts uh, doing stuff, please come back. Talk about it. Talk about your playtesting. Blah blah. We want to pick your brain about. Uh, I'm going to steal more of your game uh, while we're here. Yeah, I'm just going to rip. I'm going to put a big gorge in my shit. And, Apparently, uh, you've yes. already been doing stuff. <laughs> You didn't mean to, you just have some yeah, sort of psychic there. connection between you two. Wing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think thanks for the opportunity, you guys. It's been a lot of uh, a lot of fun talking. 
Yeah, yeah absolutely. Man. Thank you for entertaining us for three hours. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Uh, keep in mind for our, if we have a second listener, I mean, we found the first, but if we have a second listener, you may be welcome to join as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. yeah. Hit, hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, Reddit, probably. I mean, take your pick. I'm all those places. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good thing we should do. Where can we find Mitch Moore online? Oh, um, so it's uh, bronze underscore torch uh, on Twitter. And then uh, that's my company of one name, Bronze Torch Games, which there is a website, but I believe, like Rob said before, uh, don't go there because my website is not where it should be. Uh, <laughs> There's a blog of sorts that I've like abandoned and I'm just like, oh, it's just sitting there. But I'm, I am copying you in that regard too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you first said that, I was just like, oh, you, you hit the nail on the head. That's me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on Facebook, uh, it's just my first and last name, Mitch Moore. Um, and then it's also Bronze Torch on Reddit, I believe. I don't have it open right now, so I can't say for sure. But I'm in the RPG design forum there. Um, subreddit. So yeah, I think we all are. Yeah, that's the main. Pl- those are the main places to find me. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, thank you for coming on. Yay, Mitch. Thank you for hanging in there, listeners. It's been another flail forward for Catrice, Mark, myself. Thanks for listening, and good night. Because it is night where you are. Always. You're suffering me, and. <laughs> hey everybody thanks for listening if you like this episode or not we're not picky leave us a review on itunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts you can find us on facebook instagram twitter reddit and uh and pornhub because why not gotta go where your audience is right good night everyone